the biggest argument in motorsport, but not as you know it. Welcome to Bike Live on Motorsport 101. And it's a very warm welcome to the first Bike Live of 2017, Season 4 of The Biggest Argument in Motorsport with myself, Lewis Sudderby. And joining me this week to preview the 2017 World Superbike season, it's Andre Harrison. Welcome along, Dre. Sorry, I thought you were expecting some kind of really fancy guest or something. That's later in the show. Sadly, I am still here. Uh, It's a pleasure to be back and then very cosy, familiar like uh background so to speak on this one is like a uh same same show just a slightly different umbrella i I guess so to speak but yes it's the beginning of a brave and bold new world here on bike (laughs) live think of it as the opposite of formula one where they've made changes this season to bring in increased levels of downforce bike live has very much gone in the other direction (laughs) um but it is a very warm welcome to all of you listening in um this is our new home here on motorsport 101 and don't worry uh the third part of the bike life triad rebecca james will be along in the future unfortunately she couldn't make this week's show because she got called in to work um, which is a grave shame given her <laughs> views on a certain world superbike rider who will be riding in blue this year She's too busy being excavated out of a pub as we speak, unfortunately. We'll try and dig her out for some time next episode. <laughs> we'll do our very best. Our next episode will be to review the first round of the World Superbike Championship, which is less than a week away now. Uh, and we have plenty to talk about and plenty to talk with because, as Dre alluded to in the intro, we have two very, very special guests with us. Joining us a little bit later on will be the voice of World Superbike for Eurosport, Gregory Haynes. Um, who will be calling the action uh, on British and European shores this season. And we'll be talking to one of the men who will be in the thick of the action. To many, he's the championship favourite heading into 2017. It's Rupert Ducati's Chaz Davies. You will hear from him over the course of this show. So uh, plenty uh, to get your teeth into on this launch edition of the fourth season of Bike Live, our first in our new home. And if you followed us across from our previous home, this is the new place to find us. There are many different ways that you can find us. We are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on YouTube as well, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our Formula 1 team-by-team season review continues on there right now. Uh, the owner of the Motorsport 101 Twitter account hasn't responded to our threats yet, so we are at motorsport <laughs> underscore 101. Yep. If you want to follow us on there, make sure you do so. Um, if you want to back us financially, if you like us that much, you can by heading over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, where your contribution will earn you many cool perks, including early access to each of our two shows each and every week two. throughout the year. Yeah, we've got a very old brand extension going on. Uh, yes. Here on Motorsport 101. Um, for all the information on all of the things I've just told to you about and on both of our shows, the best place to go is our website, motorsport101.net. Um, right, let's crack on then and talk World Superbikes. Uh, for the first time since November, a fantastic season last year that ended with Jonathan Ray deciding not only who won the championship himself, but who finished second to him, Tom Sykes, and a very angry man who finished third in Chaz Davies. Um 
have the championship contenders last season, rate the champion in the end by a pretty cool 51 points from Tom Sykes. Chess Davies third overall in the end, with Michael van der Mark a seriously distant fourth. Nicky Hayden fifth on the second of the Hondas, ahead of Jordi Torres, the Spanish Elvis, and Davide Giuliano. Leon Cania eighth for Envy Augusta, ahead of Chelly Forres and Lorenzo Savadori. Nine of those ten remain for this season, and many of interesting rookies and returnees to the championship this season, which we will talk about as we go through the show, and particularly with Greg Haynes as we look at everything that is new in World Superbikes this season, most notably that rule change that has got many of you talking. We will debate that as we go along on this show. Um, so here's when you can see all of the World Superbike action this season. Of course, we'll be reviewing each and every round here on Bike Live. It gets underway this weekend uh, at Phillip Island. The second round takes place in Thailand at the Buriram Circuit, 11th and 12th of March for that. The first European round is on the first weekend of April at Aragon before the last weekend of April sees the annual trip to Aten. Uh, the first of two Italian rounds is at Imola in the middle of May before Bex relocates her shrine to Alex Lowe's to Donington on May the 27th and 28th. The second of the Italian rounds follows that. That's at Mizzano um, before Laguna Seca hosts the United States round on the 8th and 9th of July. Uh, they've done a slightly better job of shortening the summer break this year, or should I say they've mainly split it to two smaller summer breaks um, because the German round at the Lausitz Ring is on the 19th and 20th of August. That's a six-week gap from Laguna Seca before a further four weeks to the return of Portimao in mid-September. Magni Core remains on the calendar. That's at the end of September slash beginning of October. Uh, the Hereth round, which saw Jonathan Ray clinch his first title, is on the 21st and the 22nd of October before the venue where he clinched his second, La Salle, hosts the final round under lights in Qatar on November the 3rd and 4th, which the eagle-eyed among you will notice is a Friday and a Saturday. So the championship could actually be decided on Friday this year, as bizarre <laughs> as that sounds. Um, let's talk about the contenders that we expect to challenge for that championship then, Dre, starting with the world champions, uh, Kawasaki Racing Team. Uh, Jonathan Ray heads in, um, I think with the bookies, he certainly heads in as the favourite for 2017. Um, but he's looking to do something that nobody has ever done. This is the 30th World Superbike season we're heading into, and no one has ever won three in a row, which gives you a scale of the challenge facing Jonathan Ray this year. Exactly. And that, that was a stat that caught me by surprise. I, I, I had to look back. I was like, wait a minute. You're right. Nobody has ever won three in a row. And you'd think, you know, given some of the tremendous names that Walter Bikes has had over the years, from the Colin Edwards and the uh, of, of the world to Joe Troy Bayless, etc., etc., we've never really had it. We've never, we've never had a, a, a three-time consecutive winner. And it's never been done. And... I guess that's a, that's a statement to the consistency and also the competitive nature of World Superbikes, where the field can often be so up and down. And I mean, this year again, I think it's easy to pin the favourites tag on Kawasaki, but there is so much going on behind them right now that I don't think anybody can truly speak with confidence as to just how good Kawasaki are in the grand scheme of things. Outside of Jonathan Ray trolling the MotoGP field at Haref by slapping some qualifiers on a bike and setting some <laughs> blisteringly fast lap times just to mess with some heads. Um, <laughs> but besides that, I mean, Kawasaki, they are the blueprint of what of, 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 the, of the field right now. They are, have been the, the best bike in the field for two years in a row now. Jonathan Ray, you know, has, has lit the fuse of this team and really added so much to already, the already brilliant Tom Sykes in his own right. And 
it's hard to say, you know, where they're going to fit in now because again, Ducati got the momentum to end last year, and other contenders are in there too. But it's hard not to make Jonathan Ray favourite given the given the circumstances, given the scenario he's in. He still looks um, incredibly fast out there. Again, his, his, his race pace on as I was looking at his testing times, they were phenomenal. Like his race pace was up there with some of the finest in MotoGP, and that is an incredible statement. I mean, shout out to Jeremy McWilliams that was doing all the forensic work out there during that test, but. In any case, like Kawasaki is still the team to beat. They probably have the strongest rider partnership as well on paper, even if Sykes has not been a match for Ray the last two seasons. Sorry, Lewis. But <laughs> but in any case, I'm going to be very curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, it's very interesting. And what I find fascinating is if you look at the last two seasons, they've both kind of followed a very similar pattern in that Kawasaki have always started very well and Ducati have finished very well. I mean, last year was a kind of more extreme example than, than 15, where... Chas Davies finished the season very well, ended up finishing runner-up in the championship, whereas last season he was nigh on unbeatable in the final stages of the season, even if he didn't end up finishing in the top two, lost out at the final round to Tom Sykes. And it, it kind of begs the question, are Kawasaki favourites heading into this season? Can they hold off the red juggernaut that's coming towards them in the form of Chas Davies and Ducati? And you know, it looks like, as in the last two seasons, that Kawasaki, they always seem to manage to find a way to go again. Um, by the time we get to winter testing and find a way um, to sort of maintain that advantage over Ducati. And they do look very, very strong, don't they? Absolutely. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's, it's hard to get a read off, off a testing. It always is. Take it from me as a Sebastian Vettel fan last season where we actually had hope in Ferrari last year until um, the opening round. But in any, in any case, again, we don't know where, where it's going to sit. And, you know, everybody's kind of played their cards very close to their chest on this one, especially in that Ducati camp, which we'll talk about later, um, with Chaz Davis, who, again, is, is he's riding that momentum, having won the final six rounds of last year. And, again, it made us have these question marks as to how good Kawasaki really is. Well, how good can you be when, you know, Ducati's Chaz Davis had just as many wins as your team combined did last year? And it's, it's not a good look. Uh, and it certainly raised eyebrows because... Chaz, if he had a better first half of the season, would have probably won the championship. Ducati was slow to get going, and that's what ultimately hurt them. And they're not going to want to do that again, especially when they know they've they've seen the, the forbidden fruit of Chaz Davis have three double wins to close out last year. So I'm not sure on this one as to where Kawasaki is going to fit in this. And again, the testing the testing was promising, and Kawasaki are probably the finest. You know, road to street bike conversions in the business, but oof, that Panagardi looked really, really good at the end of the last season, and I'm sure it sent some morning shots into that camp. Yeah, and I mean, if testing's in any indication, and look, it's always very, as you say, it's always very, very dangerous to base too much from testing, but every time I've looked at a winter timesheet so far through this winter, Jonathan Ray's been ahead of Tom Sykes, um, which is not something we're used to seeing. You know, Sykes is usually the guy that sets the quicker single laps, even if Ray perhaps is quicker over longer runs. And, you know, Greg Haynes, who we're going to hear from a little bit later on, he's got a a couple of theories on this as to why Tom Sykes perhaps may find it a little bit tougher this year. So stick around to listen to that. But when you look at Jonathan Ray, and if you base it on the last two seasons where he's taken two dominant championships, it's very, very hard to pinpoint a weakness with him. There doesn't seem to be one. There isn't one. At least least as far as I can see, there isn't one because... 
the what I've learned the last two seasons is Jonathan Ray is upright and the bike is functional. He will finish in the top four. That's pretty much a guarantee on this Kawasaki. I don't think he's finished a race outside of the top four in the last two seasons where he hasn't had a problem. And the crashes he had last year were again, and the DNFs were not on him. It was the issues with the bike and the reliability that caused problems, which was what crippled Ducati in 2015. So they've got to be a little bit careful of the bikes in one piece. But yeah, for me, Jonathan Ray doesn't seem to have a weakness in his game. If he's, if he's, a, if he's having a strong weekend, he will challenge for the win. If not win, if it's on a track he likes, he's probably taking home 50 points because he, he, he can win almost any given race on paper. And that is very valuable. And he just doesn't seem to make mistakes on track very often. It's it's a rare thing for Johnny Ray to have a mistake. I mean, maybe the high-sided Donington and, you know, I think he dive-bombed Tom Sykes a little bit too hard at Magny Core, but that's about as far as it goes, yeah. really. And they weren't race-ending mistakes. They were just minor errors that only maybe cost him a position or two. So when you're that bulletproof in terms of consistency and you just don't make many mistakes and the bike is moderately reliable like it was last year and absolutely in 2015 it's hard to bet against the guy when it's that good because consistency wins championships it always has and it always will and Chaz had the upside but he also had many occasions where his Ducati or his own talent let him down and that's something that Jonathan Ray just hasn't really exhibited in the last two years mm. so for me, I don't think there is really a real weakness in Johnny's game at this point, and nobody really has given him a challenge to even maybe force a mistake out of him. That's how good he's been, and something's going to have to change if anyone wants to, to have Jonathan Ray not win that treble. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Jonathan Ray, there don't seem to be any obvious weaknesses. He just looks ready, doesn't he, for Phillip Island right now. I mean, we, we still have a two-day test to go as we record this. Um, there's a two-day test taking place Monday, Tuesday, before the weekend itself, the, the race weekend that gets underway on Friday. And Jonathan Ray just looks ready for that race weekend right now. But for Tom Sykes, Dre, would I be right in saying there are more questions than answers for him heading into the new season? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And again, we'll get to this definitely in, in the interview with Greg Haynes later on in the show. Trust me, it's really good. But the thing is, with, with, the thing is with it is that Tom Sykes is openly had to admit he's had to change his riding style because of the new technical parameters regarding these bikes and the rules. And well, the even even the most basic opinion will tell you that two years of Tom Sykes against Tom against Jonathan Ray, and he's just lost. He's owned two. Something's gonna have to change because Tom Sykes is not better than Jonathan on enough circuits by the sounds of it on paper to beat Johnny over a season. And he's going to have to do something different in order to try and beat him because I don't think Tom is going to want a third year in a row if Jonathan Ray beats him again. Because if that happens, well, what grounds has he got for Kawasaki to support him as a factory rider? You surely, I mean, we had this debate last year about what what way should Kawasaki build in the favor. And right now, Tom's had the loyalty argument. That seems to have ended this year because from what all technical experts are saying, this year's bike favours Jonathan Ray, and it probably should, given the circumstances that they're in. And Chaz Davis is, again, not a million miles behind these two as the battle for second went down to the final race. And Jonathan didn't have as easy a time of it last year as he did in 2015. So the way it's going, Sykes has to change something up. And it reminds me a lot of what happened with Valentino Rossi just a couple of years ago, where we all raised an eyebrow when he and Jeremy Burgess departed. And that was what, a 13, 14 year partnership of mostly success and 
2013 was a bad year for Valley, and that was basically seen as the last roll of the dice. And since then, he's been a free time runner up in MotoGP. He's not won a title, but he's come close and he's looked as competitive as he's ever been. So maybe something radical for Thomas Sykes is, is due. Maybe then we'll have a situation where we can justify Sykes being a better contender and having more of a slice of the Kawasaki political spectrum because right now, there's no real argument you can make for Thomas Sykes to, to, to get that kind of support because Jonathan's beaten him convincingly the last two years, and this is a problem. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think we're going to find out a lot about Tom Sykes this season. I mean, the way I see it, I think he just needs to, if anything, just try and throw Jonathan Ray off his game, you know, try and mess him up because the way I see it, Jonathan Ray has Tom Sykes just where he wants him. And if I look back at Qatar, that final round of last season, the very last race on, on the, the Sunday night in La Salle, Jonathan Ray handed second place in the championship on a plate to Tom Sykes. And, you know, when you're doing that, when you're the world champion and you're basically handing your teammate the runner-up spot in the championship, that, to me, screams number two rider. As far as I'm concerned, you know, you needed someone else to give you the points to make sure you'd finish second to your teammate in the championship. And he's the guy giving you the points. Um, and if I was Tom Sykes, you know, I would have felt, it's a great gesture, don't get me wrong, but I would have felt slightly patronised by that. I mean, it's Absolutely. a consolation prize. Um, and if I was Tom Sykes, I would want to make sure, I would want to do everything in my power this year to make sure that that scenario doesn't happen again. And, I mean, if we look at the new rules, and we're going to come on to them later on, particularly with Greg Keynes, we're going to explain the new Super po- the Pole and Race 2 reverse grid rules in full, so don't worry, because they do take a bit of explaining. Um, but, even if Tom Sykes is still the fastest man in the world of a one lap in Super Bowl this year, and there's no guarantee he'll be that this season, he's only going to be on pole half as often. Absolutely, because essentially the reverse grid rule means that Super Bowl will only be effective for race one. So half of Sykes' point scoring potential is gone, and as Lewis will tell you, Sykes is probably the best rider in the world around a single lap on a superbike, and he has been the dominant Super Bowl man for many, many years in the class. And that was a big weapon in his game. He no longer has anywhere near as effective of a weapon where that's concerned because, again, the race two grid will be determined by the results of race one, to put it in the lamest terms possible. But that's a huge blow for Sykes because the rules are now actively going against him because it effectively punishes you a little bit for being a good qualifier because... That was a consistent tool in, in Sykes' game to be able to start races in front of the grid. And now he's not going to have that in race twos. He's going to have to fight his way through the field. And Sykes was not the best pack guy for the last couple of years. He struggled in there. Remember some of those races at Assen where he's been ganged up on and bullied a little bit by other riders in the field. So I'm not sure Sykes is the guy you want in a pack race either. So it's, it's a difficult one for Sykes because it's like the rules have just completely caved in around it's not a good look for him, but uh, he is hoping he can make something out of it, but it's it's not ideal at the moment. Yeah, he's going to have to almost retrain himself, retrain the brain mm. in terms of how he approaches races, because how often have we seen in recent years where Tom Sykes has gone out the front of a race, he's been a good front runner for maybe the first half of a race, ruined his tyres and then fallen back. Um, perhaps this may, this may just give him the kick up the backside he needs. It's kind of out of necessity. He's then going to have to try and come up with a way of saving those tyres. And perhaps by running at the back of a leading group rather than the front of it, he might be able to do that. We're going to, as I say, we're going to find out so much this season about Tom Sykes. Um, we know how good he is. We know he's a world champion. But can he go again? And can he almost reinvent himself? 
um, to take the fight to Jonathan Rakes. You get the feeling that is what it's going to take. Um, let's look at the likeliest challengers um, to Kawasaki, and that, of course, comes in the form of Aruba Ducati, and in particular, Chaz Davies. And we are delighted to say here on Bike Live on Motorsport 101 that we can hear from the man himself. We will speak to him next. And you're back with us here on Bike Live, and we are delighted to welcome our first guest on this World Superbike season preview. And it's one of the men who's going to be competing for this season's World Championship, Aruba.it Ducati's Chaz Davies. Uh, Chaz, many, many thanks for joining us. I mean, last year was such a mega year for you. You took 11 wins, um, you know, more than anybody else, and winning each of the last six. Um, but you finished third in the championship. I mean, do you look back on 2016 as a successful season, even though you didn't end up winning the title? Um, yeah, I suppose the majority of it was fairly successful with that amount of victories. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's um, had a lot of success during it, but obviously uh, we weren't, ultimately we weren't successful in, in the big achievement. So, um Kind of a mixed mixed feeling on it. Yes, in many ways it was successful, and then in many other ways we missed missed the target. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean the transformation was incredible. What changed during that summer break to make yourself and the Panagali so unbeatable in those final three rounds? Uh, geometry, really. Boys worked hard to give me a geometry and a setup, which you know a setup to match the geometry, not just a geometry changes, but a whole package to. Um, improve the bike for my riding style in particular um, I think for any other rider it maybe possibly wouldn't work as effectively as what it does for me but for me it was exactly what I needed so that just gave me confidence and confidence breeds on confidence and uh, you know, I felt completely at one with the bike it was it was the the Panigale that I've that I found in 2015 was sort of back and um, I was able to ride it as hard as I wanted to ride it from the first lap to the last um, which is you know always satisfying at the end of the race when you feel like you've got 100% of the bike and yourself yeah I suppose following on from that the big question heading into this year is how confident are you that you can start 2017 on the same level you finished last season? Yeah, I think the important thing about uh, to start this year on the same level is um, is not to give points away in these first races. Um, that's going to be, I think, this year, well, the last two years, I've given away around 40 points after the first two races, which is obviously massive. Um, and the priority is not to, not to do that again, so... Whether that means we can continue as strong as we were at the end of last year, um, we'll have to wait and see. I regard these two tracks as very different to the ones at the end of last year, so we've. I think we've just got to get through the first two races. If we can win, we'll definitely go for it. And if we're if we're strong, which I don't see any reason why we won't be, but uh, the priority is to 
get net some solid points and um, yeah, if some wins come along the way then then that would be perfect yeah how tough do you expect the competition to be this year I mean are Kawasaki the main threat again obviously they start as favourites but do you expect more teams and riders to be competing at the front yeah well I think Kawasaki will be the main threat again they are the reference to the world champions for the last couple of years um, so yeah we're definitely looking at them I think they're looking at us because of the steps we made at the end of last year um, but outside of that I've got my teammate Marco uh, he's going to be strong and then I expect that Yamaha will make some good improvements the Aprilia package is, has always been uh, something you know, forced to be reckoned with and you know they've got Savadori who's a good rider and they've got Eugene who's proven on that bike so um, collectively there's a lot of good riders that can, that can be at the front and win races and then outside of that Honda you know, they've come with their new bike I think it might take them time to find their feet um, and yeah, that's a that's a good list of names just there, and there are others amongst that. Cami is riding really, really well. I think MV are, are, are slowly improving, uh, and Leon's at the top of his game. So yeah, a lot of people on on a lot of different machinery. So. Yeah, you mentioned Marco there. I mean, what has it been like working with Marco Melandri again, and how big a challenge do you think he'll be? Uh, it's been so far so good. It's pretty much where we left off in 2013 when we were teammates for the first time. Um, and myself and Marco, I think we work quite well together. We don't have very similar riding styles, and we don't have... Uh, obviously, we have massively different statures, but... Our comments of the bike are, have always been very similar, whether this bike or our, the bike we shared in 2013, um, and that is really important for the development aspect. Marco, as well, being Italian, I think in a roundabout way that it it helps me to have an Italian who can you know, keep keep pushing the development. Um, you know, it's just another voice um, and somebody who's like Marco, who does you know, persist in developing bikes is in keep moving forward is, is really important so um, no, it's, it's all good all good I mean what's your opinion on the new race 2 grid rules that they're bringing in for this season I mean given that you're stronger in races typically than, than Super Bowl I mean do you think these changes may actually suit you this year yeah I'm not against it at all uh, of course it's not traditional it's different format um, and it kind of goes against the grain and the purism of, of qualifying and racing but uh, in the end I understand the the, the businesses as entertainment as much as it is, you know, racing. Um, so I think that it can't fail to improve that aspect. The the entertainment side of it is only going to uh, improve from the way that they're turning around things for the right, second race. Um, and yeah, from my point of view, I'm quite often coming from the the second or third row at, at worst um, the last couple of years. So I do enjoy a race and I enjoy the first laps, the opening laps of, of races. They're always fun uh, and they're definitely going to be a little bit different now. You're consistently coming from coming from uh, well let's say the back the back row of the of the, the third row sorry um, I think if you get on the podium in the first race obviously yeah you'll be got a lot of work to do but then again if you finish fourth you've got a, quite a big advantage there that's the the one thing if you start on pole for the second day that's a, that's a fair advantage so um, yeah it's going to be interesting because sometimes the fourth place guy 
he cannot be not that far behind. So it's going to be it's going to be I think tough to run somebody down if they've got good pace. If if uh, myself or say Johnny and Tom start on the third row to, to actually try and chase them down could be quite tough by the time you get through traffic. So the starts are going to be very important. Um, and yeah, elbows out the first couple of laps. Well, finally, I mean, I think we all know what your goal is for this season. I mean, will you consider 2017 a letdown if you don't win the championship this year? Uh, yeah, honestly, at this point, yeah, sitting here before the start of the season, uh, anything other than winning the championship this year will will be a, a disappointment. Uh, well, we wish you all the very best. We're certain it's going to be an absolutely thrilling season once again of World Superbike Action and we're sure you'll be in the thick of the action. Chaz Davies, many, many thanks for joining us and best of luck for the 2017 season. And Dre, just to pick up on, on a couple of things that, that Chaz said there, I mean, I think it was fascinating, the insight he gave us into his mindset heading into this upcoming season. I mean, you really get the impression when he talks about the points that he's given up in the previous couple of years that this is a guy that's really learned his lesson from the first couple of rounds of last season. Absolutely. We saw it last year himself. He, he went all out to try and win the opening round. It came back to bite him. Jonathan Ray would go on to win, and it cost Chaz 25 points, or at least 25. It was a 25-point swing. It cost him 20 points himself, at least. And 20 points would have got him second in the championship, and it would have put him a lot closer to Jonathan Ray. And who knows what kind of effect that plays on pressure and little things like that. But... Chaz made too many mistakes in the early goings of the calendar to, to have an overall role in the championship, despite the incredibly strong finish. And it's seemingly, and I'm glad to say that Chaz seems to have noticed that and has realized that, listen, I have to do better in the short term here in order to effectively, you know, give Jonathan Ray a true title fight. He's got to stay right with him as close as he can all throughout the year and maybe try and force Jonathan into making errors because Jonathan's had it pretty easy from the start the last couple of years. And we saw it last year. Tom Sykes was not as competitive in the opening weekend at Phillip Island, and, and Chaz made a critical mistake in the grand scheme of things. So, as it plays out, they need to, I think they've both learned the lesson. They've got to stay close. They've got to take the points where they can get them and see if they can see if they can punish Jonathan in another area. Because it's not like Jonathan Ray is unbeatable. He, he isn't, and we saw it. Chaz won 11 rounds last year. That's no fluke. He was incredible. Like he's, he's got probably more raw speed than anyone else in the class. The issue is, is just stamping out those mistakes and letting that speed come to the surface. For me, it's, it's more just a case of picking your battles, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he was he was unbeatable over the second half of last season, but that's not guaranteed that he'll be as unbeatable in the early stages of this season. I mean, there are going to be days when the Kawasaki is the faster package and the Ducati is not, and... There are going to be days as the season unfolds where second or third will be the maximum for Chaz and those are the points that will be on offer and he'll have to bank those points rather than throw it at the senior trying to get 25 that are perhaps a little bit out of reach and it's just seems to have happened hasn't it in the last couple of years. It's It's been the difference between a championship challenge and not where he just seems to have had that sort of bad weekend that's really ruined his championship. Imola in 15. I mean last season Mizano was one where he finished fourth in race one and then crashed in race two trying to make up ground and you know, he can't really afford a weekend like that this season and I mean one thing that I, I picked up on there as well was I mean we're going to come on to this again later on with with Greg but the reverse grid rules which of course is the huge talking point heading into the new season of course there are riders who are this there are riders who it's going to punish and riders who it's going to favor Tom Sykes is a rider who we've already mentioned who it's going to punish but for Chaz Davies 
Is this a format that may indeed prove to favour him, given that he's a rider whose strength is much more of a race pace than of a single lap pace? I think so. I think Chaz Davis has always been a race pace guy. I mean, he's had a lack of poles himself. He was even surprised when he got a couple of them last season. Um, he, he, like The Panagada doesn't seem like it's the best bike over a lap of a track, and that's seemingly another problem because Jonathan Ray and Tom Sykes are excellent qualifiers, especially Sykes. And again, it's your job is that much harder when they're already in front of you. Um, and if Jonathan's up the front, forget about it. Um, so it's one of those situations where if Ducati can get a, a few of those reverse grids work out in their favor and Ducati can start a race ahead of Kawasaki and force them to chase, it might actually, you know, force a better situation out, 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 out of Ducati in the race. Pace. They didn't find it very easy to chase him last year, did they? Exactly. So Chaz not being the strongest qualifier, this rule actually definitely plays to his strengths as a rider overall, I'd say. And as he told us a moment ago, he's used to winning from row two, row three on the grid, which he might have to do a bit of um, this season. It's kind of feasible, but we, we might not even see Chaz Davis start from the front row at all this year, <laughs> as bizarre as it sounds. Because um, if he doesn't get on the front row in Super Bowl, he's certainly not going to be on the front row in race two if he makes the podium. Um, he's going to be on row three, so um, it's going to be fascinating. We're going to see a lot of overtaking and a lot of comeback results this season. I think Chaz Davies has shown so many times this season that he is so good at picking his way through the field uh, early in a race. He also said that 2017, he didn't avoid the question, did he? 2017 will be a failure for him if he doesn't win the championship. Do you agree with him? Uh, I, I think so. I think... They they got they got close they got they were they were far out in 2015 2016 they were a lot closer but not quite there Chaz very nearly got second and beat one of the Kawasaki's in question I think with the hype going in and the six race wins to close the year in a row how can you not be thinking championship for me I mean it's like I don't think anyone's going to be sitting there sitting oh you know what we won 11 races last year let's aim for second. No, no one is thinking that, especially when he made a power play in dropping Davide Giuliano for Marco Melandri, who has, again, 19 top class wins to his credit in Worlds and has always been a top tier level rider in World Superbike. So you've signed another potential top guy in, in a situation where we've a proven guy that's a proven race winner. That seems like a power play to me to try and win this championship. Both of them from Ducati, as a matter of fact. Chaz... I'm sure we'll feature for the Riders' Championship and be a top contender for that. And I I think at this point, if you've won 11 races in a season and not won the title, you've got to be asking questions as to why you haven't won the title. Mm. So, the second sort of motivation, isn't there, as well, which has there, is because I don't think it has escaped any of our attentions this season that he has openly talked about the fact that he wants to be on the MotoGP grid in 2018. Um, and you kind of think he's there's only one way he's going to find himself on the MotoGP grid next season, that's by becoming World Superbike Champion. Absolutely, and and what happened last year when Jorge Lorenzo signed for Ducati, the rumours about Chaz Davis as an outside contender for the other seat piped up a little bit, whether Ducati were going to clean the decks all together and drop Dovi as well as Ioni, as we found out, obviously, Dovi was kept, but again, he is getting up there in age now, Dovi, he's in his early 30s, and he's been very loyal to the team, but again, if Ducati felt they need to make another power play to try and win a title... They're, then they're, they're certainly not going to be afraid to do it. I mean, we all saw how very ruthlessly they were very quick to get rid of um, 
of, of Ian Oney, who, again, we've always said is a top world-class talent with incredible skill. And they dumped him very quickly. It was one mistake from, from Ian Oney, and they, they cut him completely. So this team, this team isn't afraid to make radical calls to get things done. And, hey, if Chas can stick his nose in and keep doing what he's doing and maybe win a world superbike title... How many guys would you really put above him for a potential Ducati seat? Maybe even with the Pramac team, for example, given that Redding has been a bit disappointing so far. Again, he's a guy that was probably on the hot seat next year in MotoGP. Um, Petrucci, again, was injured, but has shown a bit more promise even so. Again, Dovi up there in age. Who knows how long Lorenzo's going to stick it out for in Ducati. Given that half the field are on Ducati's in MotoGP yeah. next year anyway, it wouldn't take much for an opportunity to open up. And yeah, well, you know this as a bookie. If you look at all those Ducati teams, it's almost like the Premier League sack race, isn't it? It's like, who's, yes. who's, who's going to be the first to get the bullet um, <laughs> over the course of next season? Um, hmm. That's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, a new teammate uh, for Chaz this season, or a new old teammate, because he's been teammates with Mark and before um, in World Superbikes, when they were BMW teammates last time they had a factory team uh, in this championship. Um, before we talk about Marco himself, um, an interesting question, Dre. Does the arrival of Marco Melandri as a teammate, as replacement to Giuliano, make Chaz Davies more or less likely to win the title, or does it not matter at all? Less. I think Marco will take points off him. I really do. I just, Marco's been nothing but excellent in World Superbikes ever since well, he this first... this is the thing with Marco. Do we, if we're, when, we're, when we're assessing Marco heading into the season, do we almost have to forget that half-season in MotoGP on that rubbish Aprilia? I think we do because he didn't want to be there in the first place. I think it. I think he, in his eyes, I think he was doing them a favour by joining them and helping out with them, you know, helping out with development and whatnot. But that Aprilia was a disaster zone. It was. It was not a good place to be at all. Let alone for Marco, who had been out of MotoGP. And again, the bikes are completely different in MotoGP. They're, they're prototypes. They're. They're, they're a different ball game. They're a different animal. And, yeah, and Mar- they've, they've taken him from a position in World Superbikes where he was winning races. Yeah, like he had won like the third to last World Superbike race just that same year in 2014. And again, causing his own team orders because that's the Marco <laughs> Melandri thing imaginable because Marco can't go a year without doing something crazy. But yeah, it's it's the Marco way. He's Again, he has been a proven race winner almost every year he's been in World Superbikes. And regardless of bike either he's done it on multiple manufacturers like bmw as well so marco is is, is an excellent superbike rider this like ducati may have to be a little bit careful with this one because it was almost a blessing in disguise that Davide giuliano was inconsistent because it cleared the way for Chaz davis to be a true number one rider for ducati but we all saw giuliano had the talent to potentially upset the apple cart he was just never able to put together a full season Marco, if he stays healthy, I think has the potential to do that. I think he can score 350 points or more, and that might actually compromise Chaz. And not, I don't think people are talking about this so much because remember, Marco has proven he is not totally willing to play team orders. No, he's, he's pretty free yeah. spirit, isn't he? He's the definition of a free yeah. spirit. And like Marco is, is one of GP Riding's great characters. He is not afraid to do things his way. And do you think he's going to come there and join Ducati to be a second-placed rider and to support Chaz? No, he's come there to win because his name's diminished because he was out of racing for a year and he was embarrassed at uh, Perillia's MotoGP resurgence and how badly that turned out. So 
He's got something to prove. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's in the twilight of his career. And as we've seen before with guys like Max Biaggi, Walter Bikes is a perfect home for a guy in the twilight of his career. Uh, like we saw with Max, we saw with Carlos Checa and others, you know, guys that are in their 30s that use it as a, like a last like propeller for their careers. And Marco, Nicky Hayden, another prime example of that. And Marco has won 19 World Superbike races in his career already. And that was only, I think, in five seasons. So f- f- he's got the potential to do it. If the bike is there, he will win races. I'm dead certain on this. How that will play out, yeah, how to play out for the title race, I'm not sure. Yeah, it kind of makes me think. Uh, I'm not sure if I know the answer to this, as to what Ducati's thinking was, what their motivation was for <laughs> signing Melandri. Were they signing him as a rider of, hey, here's a guy that's going to back up Chaz Davies and ensure that when Chaz wins races, Marco's second, and you know the Kawasaki's our main title rivals a third at best, or is Marco a guy who we think can also win the championship on his own, and we simply want the two best riders possible? Um, it's interesting because I'm not so sure which of the two it is. I mean, I'm not sure Mar- either. But we, we know which way Marco sees it. But I'm not so sure which way Ducati sees it. Well, my argument to Ducati is this. If you wanted a number one and a number two, why did you drop you Davide? Yeah, you had it already. You had the perfect scenario because let's be honest, Davide is not Chaz Davis. He's not as good a rider as Chaz Davis is in today's World Superbike field. And Davide has, has been proven to be unfortunately inconsistent. Yeah, and it is. We want to go for the two number ones and, and try and almost, yeah, we, we want to make sure that at least one or two of these guys wins the championship. As you say, they may well snooker each other by taking points uh, off each other be fascinating to see that dynamic as the season goes on and to see who has the upper hand throughout the season they certainly both look quick Melandry certainly doesn't look like he's Mr. Stett in his time out of World Superbikes um no. let's talk about the team that I think they, they finished third in the in the team, team's points in the manufacturer's points last season Honda uh, yeah. with the um almost a geriatric motorcycle it was that old um <laughs> the fireblade they have a brand new fireblade this season um but it almost seems a bit too new, doesn't it? Because they've they've mm. had next to no time to get themselves prepared for this new season, and they look as if they're very much on their back foot, the new Honda World Superbike team. I was actually quite excited about this team, and then Gregory Haynes poured water all over my bonfire. You'll see again, you'll hear about that in the interview later on in the show, and you'll see exactly why that is, but Lewis summed it up quite nicely. It's a brand new bike. It's It's almost too new. They've had to go out of their way to make it work for Worlds, and they've had very limited time on that bike. So, like, Philip Harden will, will be their first probably weekend at full competitive speed for a brand new bike. Nobody knows where this Honda is going to be. And it's a bike that's probably going to be like a platform of untapped potential right now. And these things take time, as, as Ducati proved the last couple of years, as Josh Brooks probably proved for Yamaha and BSB a couple of years ago. Um, it took time for the new Yamaha M1 to find its footing, and when it did, it was incredible, and it destroyed the field. And I'm not sure Honda's going to be like that with their bike because the move, the Arctics keep moving in street bikes and super bikes and whatnot. But who knows where this bike is going to end up? It seems that they've had to go through some teething problems to get where they are already, and they still look like they're going to be a long way away from where they preferably want to be, or where they're comfortable with a brand new bike. But Oh boy, and you got a brand new bike. You've got one brand new teammate that's not ridden these bikes before, uh, coming off of prototypes, and you've got a guy that you know, Nicky Hayden, who again has had limited time on this bike to really get you know, bred it in and get used to what it can do from a dynamic standpoint. So 
they're one great big fat enormous question mark right now and i have no idea where they're going to play into this it's going no, to be it's, 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 it's very interesting because i mean you look at you look at that team look at the tenkate team if anyone's going to turn around a bike and, and make a a bike competitive it's them look at how many new ways they kept finding to reinvent that old fireblade and make it competitive for so many years uh tenkate will figure it out um but it's just case of how long it takes and i've already heard the dreaded phrase development year used Uh-oh. to 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 describe the honda team Uh-oh. and when you're a guy like nikki hayden who let's face it hasn't got that much time on his side those aren't the words you'd be wanting to hear are they no, 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 no. Nicky Hayden is in his mid to late 30s now, and the last thing he wants to hear is that he's going to be basically sacrificing another year of his competitive career. But Nicky, chin up. Shit. Max Biaggi won a world title at 41. I'm just throwing it out there. Shaky you know? pencil going strong in BSB. Yeah. Shaky's still the best BSB rider on the planet. You know, it's it, it, there's time. Father Time is undefeated, but, you know, unfortunately, that's not what Nicky Hayden wants to hear. And when you're of that age, you don't want to be spending another year being uncompetitive. And let's no face age. it, that's not the reason he moved to Worlds, was it? He moved to Worlds because he wanted to do swinging again. Exactly. Um, he didn't want to move to, to Worlds to be a test meet mule for a year. And Yeah, that, that'll be on my worry for, for the Honda team. Um, let's talk about his teammate, his new teammate, Stefan Bradle. They've they've traded out Michael van der Mark to the Yamaha team, and we'll come on to shortly, and replaced mm-hmm. him with the former Moto2 champion, Stefan Bradle. Uh, tricky question, is that an upgrade or a downgrade? Uh, uh, I don't know. Or is it a that's kind, of, kind of a light for light replacement once Bradle gets to speed? Yeah, because that's the thing. Bradle, I, I, I pulled for Bradle quite hard when he was in Murder GP because I think he had was in moments, an un- he? Yeah, I, he had his moments, and I think he was in an unwinnable situation in at, at uh, LCR Honda, a bike where Honda was a mess. He was the top of the mess, basically. Mm. And he had no chance of ever riding for the factory team because of Pedrosa and Marquez. He was... Hold up the good in a second, isn't he? Yeah, it's a bit like the Kobayashi Maru in Star Trek. There's, it's an unwinnable situation. You can't win here, Stefan. You're only going to get... You're only going to crash and burn here by being with LCR Honda. And just, unfortunately, the only way was down. And again, it kind of ruined him, really. Because, uh, he wasn't even a spectacular in his last year at LCR where he had that podium at Laguna Seca. And I thought, hey, maybe this is the year Brodel puts it together. And... Well, I wouldn't say put it together, but he had strong seasons in that LCR team. I always thought he was a very good rider. And it's just a shame that he, again, I think he was just in a bad, it was in a bad team. It was just, it just wasn't the ideal scenario for him. It's not like LCR is not the place you want to be for an up and comer. No. And it's, it's a decent holding spot, but if you're not good, you're going to get dumped at because Honda are ruthless. Yeah, I think he's a quality rider, Stefan Bridal. I really, really do. I mean, he can say something that very, very few riders in the world can say, uh, and that's that he beat Mark Marquez to a world championship uh, in 2011 in Moto2. Whatever you say about the circumstances, yes, Mark got injured towards the end of that season, but Bridal beat him to the Moto2 Championship uh, in 2011. And, yeah, I agree with you. I, I've got a soft spot for Bradle. And I think he's at a good stage of his career, actually, now, Bradle. You know, he's ready for the new challenge with Honda in World Superbikes, having you know done a solid job, I think, given the machinery he had at his disposal in MotoGP. I think he's probably at a stage where he's ready to suffer a development year, if it's going to be that, um, for Honda, for him to wait to get to where they need to get to and I think once Honda do figure out that new fireblade and maximize it Stefan Bradle's going to be quick on it and you know he may just have to wait a little bit unfortunately to get to that point 
we're searching here, aren't we, for, for a positive surrounding the team heading to the new season. Uh, do we find one when we read their full name? Red Bull Honda, World Superbike Team. New title sponsor on board, new backing from Red Bull. Brand new livery, and it looks the business, doesn't it? It looks fantastic. It's the, it's the prettiest looking livery on the field. I think it looks fantastic. And less of the obnoxious Red Bull purple like the Formula One team. And more yes. of the I I've never liked that purple one. This is coming from a Sebastian Vettel fan. I've never liked the purple on that thing. But and, and, and as I was saying, it's 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 a beautiful livery, and the team looks the part. That's for yes. sure. And having Red Bull as a factory sponsor is fantastic. Not only for them, but for World Superbikes as a sport mm. to have Red Bull as a main title sponsor for the series. Sort of one of the series' top factory teams is is awesome, and I'm very glad they've they've spread themselves out from Repsol Honda's MotoGP team. Better play a prominent role on that. Then they've gone into Worlds as well because Honda and Tenkarte are a great team. They're, they've got so many talented people. I mean, they won a Grand Prix last year with a 10 year old bike. That's an incredible accomplishment, no matter which way you slice it. And Hayden was on the podium multiple times, and Vandermark was challenging for wins on occasion as well. So. They've they do an incredible job with with what they've been given and they've been rewarded for it with a, with Red Bull sponsorship and that is that's no mean feat. I know Red Bull are everywhere these days, but even so, um, it's a very very cool title sponsor to have and it just rolls off the tongue. I see Red Bull Honda. Yes, yeah. it, 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 it works. Red Bull Hondas. Yeah, it, it does yeah. look good. I, mean, I remember when they announced it about a week before when they said um, the new Honda World Superbike team and its new title sponsor will be launched at Hangar Seven in Austria. Hmm, I wonder who that sponsor's going to be. Um, so, uh, yeah, and uh, the biggest uh, secret in World Superbikes was revealed on the Monday that uh, Red Bull are on board. And, yeah, that bike really does look the part. Let's hope we're seeing it somewhere near the front um, sooner rather than later. Um, how far forward will we see the Yamahas this season? Patty Yamaha, Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark, who comes in for the outgoing former world champion, Simon Gutoli, who, um, don't worry, we'll still be covering this year because he is in BSB for <laughs> Um, leading the new battery Suzuki team in BSB, so which is going to be that's going to be fascinating to watch. But I digress. Um, how will Yamaha do without him, Dre? I mean, you get the impression, and again, it's only an impression based on testing that they are closer and they are more competitive. But they kind of had to be, didn't they? Yeah, it's only really because last year was a disaster for them, and there was so much hype going for. I mean. We all bought it. We all bought the hype yeah. going into the season this time last year where we all sat there and said, yeah, we think Alex Lopes has got a chance at the top three this year. Yeah. We're expecting we all, wins. Yeah, we were expecting wins, podiums, title threat. It was anything but. So, I mean, they were okay on the opening round at Phillip Island, but quickly fell further and further back down the field and were fighting for minor points, you know, mid-level points, six through ten for the most part, aren't for most of the year. And to be fair, they were also quite unlucky. Both their main riders have suffered significant injuries throughout the year. Lowe's got her. Ginter's had that horrendous high side at Imola, which still hurts my heavy heart, um, just so, so to speak. But uh, and still with Ginter's. It, 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 I'm like, the Ginter's campaign has not derailed. It's just taken a side tour, that's all. We're going to dominate on the domestic it's on level. It's UK first. tour this year. Yes, Ginters is practically English anyway. That was the joke <laughs> yes, when he was in the He was the honorary Englishman, English girlfriend, lives in London. He, he's, he's coming home. Ginters is coming home. That is going to be my hashtag for the year. Quasi-British quasi French accent. Yes, and, uh, but yeah, yes. I can imagine Ginter's coming home. It's it's all, we're going to be we're going to be replacing the three lions with 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 that. Um, yes, but um, but yeah, he's. 
Yamaha, yeah, Yamaha almost have to. I mean, if we're talking about what we expected from the last season, they kind of have to be doing that this season, don't they? Um, given that they've had, they can't use the excuse of, oh, well, it's our first year anymore, can they? And even then, they had the backbone of a British domestic campaign where Brooks was dominant in the showdown and Kate walked the championship effectively in the second half. And they had, they had success in Germany and, and, and over in the States as well. So I, I, I don't even think that excuse worked in year one. Like it, mm. You've proven on a domestic level that this thing is competitive. So like the fact it was such a disaster in Worlds says a lot of, the, of, of just how bad a season it was for them, unfortunately. Again, the only way they could have really it was up. Because last year was a disaster. And they've got arguably the most exciting talent in Worlds in Michael Vandermark now in their team. And, you know, he's a very, very talented rider. We've, we've, we spoke to high praise of him, his, his fearlessness, his speed, his, you know, his, his, his home level aggression of when it comes to Assen. He's always a monster to look out for. And he's always been the top of our list of guys who could make the switch. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he probably is still top of that list for guys that can make the switch now. And, you know, the, the age is right. He's had proven success on a factory bike that was not competitive, really. And he's now gone to Yamaha. And now, like I said it before, this this could be a make-or-break year for, the, for for both of these guys because Alex Lowe's mm. had, had a domestic title in 2011. And he's not really kicked on in Worlds. And this is, what, his fourth season over there in Worlds now? I think his fifth season over there now. And it's not really come together for him in that sense. And... You know, Vandermark, again, solid season, was probably expecting to do a little bit better than Hayden than what he did in the end, given his his experience. And he knows the bike, knows the team. He was only just better than Hayden over the course of the year. This is a big year for for, for VDM, and he has to he has to try and capitalize and do better. So this is this is a big deal. Yeah, you used the phrase that I was about to use, make or break year. And you know, let's talk about Alex Lowe's. I mean, he's his number one fan, unfortunately, isn't on the panel tonight. Um, but, I mean, if you look at Alex Lowe's, and if you look at riders of his age, Vandermark included, uh, they're, they're either looking for a top ride, during that stage of that career, where they're either looking for a top ride at the team they're at, i.e. moving forward up the grid with their current team, or they're looking for a top ride with another team. Um, and Alex Lowe's is kind of at that tipping point now, where he's looking to make that next step upwards in his career, either with his current team, Patty Yamaha, or by switching to a team further up the grid. And let's face it, he's not going to get that if he doesn't beat Michael van der Mark, is he? Uh, this is the yardstick. This is the yardstick. I mean, Gintoli wasn't really fair because Gintoli got hurt in the end, and it didn't really matter because Lowe's got hurt himself in the end. But I thought Gintoli was a really nice yardstick for someone like to see where he is, you know, a former world champion, a guy that, again, had to drag that Honda through, through the mill to get any sort of decent results on it. And... Ginters was, a, again, a proven, fantastic rider at world championship level. And again, Van der Mark, you could argue, is in the same sort of ballpark. A guy that, again, has has race-winning level talents, has featured on podiums on multiple occasions. I'd argue last year, Van der Mark is a rider that Alex Lowe's probably wanted to be. And... To, to move the yardstick further, he really should be beating a guy like Van der Mark. If we want, if we want to really see just how good Alex Lowe is and see if he really is a world class level rider, this is the yardstick. This is the guy. This is the guy who we think is knocking on that door right now in Michael Van der Mark. Lowe's is not that guy. Sorry, Bex. but uh, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see if if that happens in the grand scheme of things. But for me, 
this is the this is the biggest test of Lowe's career because he's he's getting a bike which looks fast. It looks good this year. It looks like they've ironed out some of the kinks from last year. But he's now got a very, very competitive teammate in who's going to be hungry and in the same sort of similar career, career scenario than him. This is a big one for Alex. It is. I mean, for me, that's going to be one of the stories of the season. Uh, the battle between arguably the two brightest young talents in World Superbikes today, uh, Alex Lowe's uh, and Michael Vandermark. And, you know, again, we have to throw in the caveat that it's only testing. But looking at the testing time so far, it, you know, I get the impression that Lowe's has had the edge on Vandermark. I mean... I guess that's kind of to be expected, given that Lowe's has been at the team for a year and Vandermark's new to that lineup. But you know, Lowe's has appeared to be a shade quicker so far. But you know, this weekend's going to be the acid test when the race weekend actually gets underway and you know it actually counts for real. Super Pole race one, race two are going to be fascinating because when the stopwatch stops, one is going to be ahead of the other, um, and and that's basically what it's going to boil down to. One reputation is going to be enhanced and one is going to take a hit. And that's kind of going to be the story of the season. Which of those two will come out of the season with his reputation enhanced? And which of them has a hit to that burgeoning reputation? Uh, three manufacturers still to get through. Um, BMW are the next of them. Um, they've got one less team to back this season. Uh, Milwaukee have switched um, manufacturers. We'll come on to them shortly. Altea continue to run the BMWs and they're unchanged. Um, keeping Jordi Torres and Marcus Reitzberger as their two riders. And they haven't had the ideal preparation, I think it's fair to say, for this new season. Torres has been injured in preseason testing, so he hasn't exactly had the ideal build-up to the new campaign. And given the fact that a couple of the manufacturers in particular, one we've just talked about and one we're about to talk about, look as if they've improved and are certainly stronger heading into this season... Do we get the feeling that Altair BMW may well be the fall guys for that? It could very well be. I mean, unfortunately, uh, Spanish Elvis, uh, as a, he's not dead. He's just taking a break, unfortunately. And uh, I need to learn that phrase in Spanish, clearly. <laughs> but um, sadly, Jordi Torres, who, again, is, is a great, great superbike rider. Again, it was awesome in his first year in the class in Aprilia. Had many a surprise. In, both him and Reiterberg had, had a couple of really nice results on that BMW this year as the season went on. And we all know BMW don't support from a factory standpoint. They're basically digging up the best of what they can do on their S1000RR. And despite that, they've got they've got a very nice rider lineup there with Torres and Reiterberger. And it's done some good things for them over the course of the season. But no factory support. Again, there seems to be more momentum and more juice behind some of the other factories. Again, certain some of them involving a red and white livery guy of a new Irishman back in the class. We'll go to them in a second. But it's I think the team that's most likely to take a step back is probably BMW. And that's a shame because they've got great talent there. I just wish they'd have more resources to play with to maybe get the full potential out of them because I think Reiterberger and Torres are great riders. I just think they're in a bad situation. Yeah, and they, they had a number of fourth places last season out to and BMW. Fourth place might both be the golden position to finish in this season uh, given the new rules. Um, so, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, is the other manufacturer that may suffer a bit of a hit this season, MV Augusta uh, with Leon Camier, our rider of the season I think in World Superbikes last year the guy was phenomenal um but again with the with other manufacturers improving mb augusta's lack of finances and lack of resources might well come back to bite them yeah i definitely think so and it's, it's, it's a shame because again they've got such a talented lineup there and it's just such a shame that you know 
because we want more factories to be involved in world superbikes and, and, and you know what we have to, we, i don't want to sound like i'm being sport because it is genuinely improved massively from where we were five ten years ago and the very competitive manufacturers in this sport. absolutely so i'm don't i'm not looking a gift horse in the mouth here but you know bmw I, I, it's almost like they've got no excuse to be involved now because everybody else seems to be now with yamaha jacari kawasaki suzuki uh, over in over in the from the British side of, of, of that bike surely going to be on the world grid next year. Absolutely, I mean they'll, they'll get that next year, and somebody will take that up. I'm dead certain on that. So, uh, you know, like that's that's just you know, it's it's a shame. I, I'd like to see BMW more actively involved, but um, hey, we've always got Tyco, right? <laughs> and with MV, they they they, I think they're the kind of team with the with Cameo where the one rider lineup kind of suits them. Um, yeah, because Cameo is so good at developing a bike, it's it's kind of not a tag that he'd want. Cause he'd want to be the guy that's rather doing the winning on it rather than the guy that's developing it. But he's so good at that job, his feedback is so good. Um, so they'll definitely, as they did last season, squeeze every last drop out of that bike. Um, but you kind of get the feeling, certainly I get the feeling that their best bet this season is to try and nick a race two pole somewhere or nick a front row for the second race and then try and turn that into a podium somewhere. Because um, that was the only thing that they missed last season. It was such a shame that Camia didn't get that. Um, we're expecting podiums from the seventh manufacturer that we're going to talk about now, Dre. Aprilia, who are taking it very seriously this season. They have uh, booted those BMs out of the Milwaukee garage and replaced them with some shiny factory RSV4s uh, from Aprilia for this season. And a stellar rider lineup. I think we were all impressed uh, with the rookie performance of Lorenzo Savadori last season. Um, but in alongside him, and of all the new or returning riders for World Superbikes in 2017, I'd argue this is the big one. Eugene Laverty's back. That's an excellent pull for Milwaukee to get Eugene Laverty on board. Again, race winner in the class, title contender. On the Aprilia. Yeah, on the Knows the series at the back of his hand. He knows what the deal is. They're a great guy to build a team around, and they've got one. And Savadori was Rookie of the Year last year, had many a top 10 finish. Some superb, especially at Magni Cord towards the end of the year, he was awesome in there in changeable conditions as well. So, yeah, I mean, it is an excellent, excellent team. Milwaukee is a strong brand name, and you know, again, when I was at Brands Hatch last year, they were dominant in terms of merchandise, apart from all those bums that bought Rossi gear. Um, <laughs> for a super black ground, but like, if there's anything I noticed down there, it's that there was so much Milwaukee merch and Josh Brooks merchandise in the in the packs I was walking around the joints. It was incredible to see. So, absolutely, um, yeah. The, the brand is strong. They've got like Aprilia are tremendous bike makers. They are they are more than capable of winning races and championships. They've been there and done it. And yeah, like there's no reason why this team can't get on the podium on, on multiple times next year. They've got the talent. They've got this. They've got the resources, which is very important. And they've got the brand behind them, and that's a very very cool thing to have. So. Uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I'd be amazed if they don't win somewhere. I mean, history tells us in World Superbikes that if Aprilia take it seriously, they're a real force. You know, we just need to look at their their history with Solangitoli. They won a championship only two and a half years ago. So they they have pedigree in World Superbikes. There's no question about that with the RSV4 machine. Um, and, you know, one of the testing times that really took my attention more than any other um, over the course of the winter was the Jerez test last month where Lorenzo Savadori was second quickest between the two Kawasaki's of Ray and Sykes. Now, it's it's not, it's not, it's not an open secret that they were using a qualifying tyre there. Savadori was on a Q tyre, so 
that kind of helped him to set that time. But even with that, that was a fast time, whichever way you look at it, uh, from the Italians. So, you know, they've clearly got pace. It's a, they've got a good team running that bike now. They've got clearly a bit more factory manpower and some factory support behind it. And as I say, I will be stunned if they don't win a race somewhere. They might even win this weekend, given that they have a good history at Phillip Island, as does Eugene Laverty, who won there once upon a time on a Suzuki. Uh, well, an awful lot heading into this new season is new. New riders, returning riders, and new rules, particularly that new rule that has got everybody talking. And we have the perfect person to talk about it with, the voice of World Superbikes, Greg Haynes, who will be commentating on the action for Eurosport throughout this season. And he will join us to talk about everything that's new in World Superbikes, and he will do that next. And you're back with us here on Bike Live on Motorsport 101. And joining us to talk about everything that's new for World Superbikes in 2017 is the new voice of Eurosport uh, for 2017. It's a warm welcome to Bike Live for, for Greg Haynes. Many thanks, thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, thanks a lot, Louis. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, how, how much are you looking forward to this? I mean, you've been the voice of the sport for, for a couple of years now uh, with the World Fee, but to, to be joining Eurosport alongside James Whitton, given their history of, of Superbikes, is, it must be so exciting for you. I'm thrilled to be honest with you, Lewis. It's going to be a fantastic season. It's the 30th season, of course, of the World Superbike Championship alongside James Witham, who's a previous race winner himself in the category, as well as his exploits over in Britain. Can't wait to get going, and we're almost ready to start. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's it's such an exciting season ahead, isn't it? Not just the fact that it's the 30th season, but I mean, there's so much, and we're going to cover this, of course, the interview, there's so much that's new, but I mean, just looking at the established cast that's already in the sport, it's, it's arguably the strongest superbike field ever assembled. Well, that's a very good point, actually. If you look at not just the riders, but also the teams and the combination of teams and manufacturers, and with uh, many of them receiving certainly close to full factory support this year, it's a very strong grid indeed. And of course, the highlights being Nicky Hayden going into his second year, Stefan Bradle joining him on a brand new Honda, Eugene Laverty on an Aprilia. And uh, what about the Milwaukee team itself? I mean, a really difficult year last year with BMW. Now they're on Aprilia. And that's just where it begins. Then, of course, you've got to talk about Chad Davis, Jonathan Ray. There is so much to talk about this year. Yes, and I want to start right from the top on that one. And like, there's one that stuck out to me when we were going through the off-season, and that was Marco Melandri to Ducati replacing Davide Giuliano there and we, we all know Chaz was tremendous especially in the second half of last season winning the final six races and you know basically putting the scare up Tom Sykes in the battle for second in the end but I want to know where you think Melandri will fit in is, is Ducati going to use him as a rear gunner do you think Melandri is going to stick his oar in at Ducati or do they want a proper team focus for the championship because you know we all like if we all remember from Marco's original World Superbikes run that uh he, he won many races and ruffled quite a few feathers with his uh, willy won't team order style of affairs um, in, in, in support of Sylvain Gintoli. So I'd love to hear what you think on that one, Greg. Yeah, well, first of all, Andrew, I'd say I think some of the criticism he received in 2015 was pretty unfair because he was taken over to MotoGP with a pretty... Yeah. He didn't really want to be there, did he? And it, and it was a disaster, wasn't it? Let's be honest, it did not yeah. go his way. And he didn't want to be there at all, and that's why 
mm. uh, one of the reasons it didn't work out. But if you look at his superbike statistics, which is a really nice number, 19 wins, 49 podium finishes from yeah, 100 starts. That is incredible, isn't it? As you've just said, when he was last in World Superbike, it was 2014 on the Aprilia, alongside the man who won the title that year, Sylvain Gintoli. And yes, we had all of those team order dramas, didn't we? And Magnicor, and then uh, in Qatar, but in particular in France. Now, I think what they're looking for here with field racing and a Rubin Ducati is somebody who's going to be closer to Chad Davis. Gabinet Giuliano is one of few riders in the history of the championship. Although he's quick, he's never won a race. And that really was yeah. the thing that got away from Giuliano, isn't it? Melandri, as we know, he's won 19 times. Based on his past performances, his latest performances in 14, he should be up there. And looking at testing times and some of his race pace runs, talking to other people up and down the pit now, they really reckon that he's going to be right up there. What they want at Ducati is somebody who's going to be able to support Chad Davis and hopefully take some points off the Kawasaki's and who knows, perhaps even contend for the manufacturer's title. That's what I think they're looking for. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause it's, it's, it's interesting as to what Marco's looking for. Cause I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that's what Ducati will be looking for. But I wonder if that's how Marco sees it. Um, I think he probably, he's probably looking to come back to the championship and try and win the thing, isn't he? I think that's probably his his target. So it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, let's now talk about a former teammate of Melandri's, Eugene Laverty, who's had a, an, an interesting couple of years in MotoGP. I think did a lot better than perhaps his results suggest um, in, in MotoGP. Obviously had that fine fourth last year in Argentina um, on the customer Ducati. He's now joined the Milwaukee team who have a Aprilia support for this season. Of course, they ran the BMWs last season with limited success. They now have the Aprilias with a degree of factory backing. So are we to take the Aprilia Challenger much more seriously this season, especially given that they have a proven winner in Laverty on board? Uh, yes, in a word, absolutely. Because last year with Iota Racing, that bike was hardly updated. I think a rear link was the only new part they had all year long. And even then, even then, Lorenzo Salvadori was still up there, top fives on several occasions, front row of the grid, if you remember, for the UK round at Donington Park. Now, I can't imagine they're going to be contending for the title in this first year, let's call it. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. And if I am wrong, I'll be delighted, to be honest with you, because if they are contending for the title, it'll be brilliant for the championship. But I just don't think with the might of Kawasaki Racing Team and Ducati with the Aruba team at the moment, that they're going to be beaten in terms of the title. However, they will be up there contending for podiums. They should be contending for wins. I think they're still a little bit off at the moment. If you talk to Eugene Laverty and some of the things he said at the Jerez test, they're not quite where they want to be. But then who could expect them to be where they want to be at this moment? Testing is very, very limited. But without doubt, as you say, Lewis, it's pretty much full-on factory support. It's not quite full factory because the way World Superbike is these days, the more common trend now is to have one team doing all of the logistics and the hospitality and all the things in the background, then some factory support alongside. That is exactly what's happening with the likes of Field Racing with Ducati, with Provec, Kawasaki, Tenkarta and Honda, and in this case, of course, SMR and uh, Aprilia, of course. But they will have at least four Aprilia technicians with them at every single round this year. They're going to be quick. They're going to be really quick. I can't wait to see how quick they are. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got a, they've got a history of being quick, even with the likes of Hanslam and Torres in Phillip Island too. And of course, Eugene's one there on a Suzuki. So it'll be fascinating to see what they do yeah. um, in a couple of weeks in Australia. Uh, you mentioned Honda there. A lot new with Honda. Uh, the fact that they're now backed by Red Bull in, in a title capacity, which I think is fantastic. It looks beautiful, that new livery uh, on the Honda. Uh, they've got a new Fireblade, which we'll come on to in a second, but also a new rider in Stefan Bradle, who replaces Van der Mark, who we'll come on to uh, in a second. Um, a proven 
quantity, Stefan Bridal, a Moto2 champion. And um, does he have the tools, do you think, to slot into World Superbike straight away and be competitive? Well, he's quick at adapting, and these Grand Prix riders usually are. I think what they need to focus on very early on is not try to beat each other because it would be ridiculous. And I'm sure I know how professional Nicky Hayden is, Stefan Bradley as well. They're Grand Prix riders. As you say, plenty of history between them. Uh, both Grand Prix title winners in past years. Uh, and in Bradley's case, of course, Moto2 in 2011. But what's been a little bit disappointing for me, Lewis, so far is the fact that we've been talking about this new Fireblade now for, what, a decade, 10 years? Mm-hmm. And it finally comes... And what happens, it comes out late. They roll it out. They only receive two road-going Fireblades uh, three weeks before their test in Jerez. So they've had to completely strip them down, build them back up again. Wow. It's going to be a difficult start. We should not expect any podium finishes, I don't think, too soon. Maybe with the exception, maybe with the exception of Australia, because we know Philip Island can throw up some very strange results. We've seen it before. Hopefully, we'll see it again. It would be a great start to the year. I just don't think we should expect them to run before they can walk. I'd look towards the second half of the season, personally, for uh, real big results from Honda. And I think Nicky Hayden's expression at the test in Jerez a couple of weeks ago summed it up, really. He seemed a little bit downcast. But what can you expect with the bike arriving at, at this point, you know, this late in the day? They're not going to be contending Kawasaki for the world title, are they? No, it's, it's interesting because they're almost the victim of the calendar, aren't they? World Superbike starts earlier than just about anything else in world motorsport, yeah. given it's the end yeah. of February. And you do get a feeling that the start of the season is coming a bit too soon for them. Yeah, you do, to be honest. It's a bit of a shame, but obviously they've had a few earthquakes, haven't they, over in uh, in Japan, and that's actually mm. caused some damage to the factory and some of the machinery there. It's actually uh, significantly delayed the production of not just the uh, the race bikes, but the road bike itself, because, of course, it comes from the road bike. So they received it later at 10 cars in Holland. They'll have to set them all up for the test. Yeah, they're, gonna, they're on the back foot. They are on the back foot, but in some ways they've got nothing to lose. They needed this new bike. But on a positive, it does look really good, doesn't it? The livery is fantastic. <laughs> I must say, I'm pleased as a commentator that on a long shot, you'll be able to make it out very easily because yes. of the flashes of yellow. That's yes. always good for us, isn't it, when we watch on the TV? Um, and with the backing of Red Bull as well, there's going to be a lot more resource and a lot more budget, you would hope, this year for 10 cars, which is a relatively small team. Definitely. It's, um, it's, it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. More resources. That's always going to be good to iron. Because, I mean, we saw what they could do last year. We knew Nicky Hayden had that amazing win in Sepang, and I hope they can build on that foundation. Now, Yamaha, this is an interesting case. I mean, Yamaha, I think they had so much hype going into this, going into the 2015-2016 season. And with... It didn't really quite work out how it was expected. I mean, they, they, there was a lot of hype. The Brooks could have got on the seat. It ended up being Sylvain Gintoli. Both riders got hurt. The bike itself wasn't quite where many people thought it was. I think people were buying into Brooks' BSB season as maybe a little bit too much. But uh, Gintoli's gone to the, the British series, and now we have we have Vandermark in there. And it, it seems like a very promising young team they've now put together there, Greg. But... Uh, is this kind of a make-or-break year for their two riders in question? Because they've, they've not really, I think, quite worked out how many thought they were going to work out, I, I suspect. Well, first of all, Andre, I'd say that for me personally, I don't know what you guys think, Yamaha was probably the biggest disappointment in mm. 2016 because they came yes. in, didn't they? As a, yeah, came in once again as a full, well, let's call it factory team for, uh, for ease of conversation for the first time since 2011 when they had Laverty and Melandri. And, of course, they'd finished with a one-two finish in Portugal. So that, that was their last history, if you like, as a full factory team, let's say, in World Superbike. Came in last year, 
And uh, well, what a nightmare it was. The bike just didn't work, did it? There seemed to be some real fox with that bike, and it threw the riders off and hurt them a few times. Alex Lowe's in Malaysia. Silvan Kintoli, notably in Super Bowl in Imola. Horrible crash there. Oh. And it could have been a lot worse. That was, was awful. Every time you watch it back, it doesn't look any nicer, does it? Um, no. But both riders, both regular riders outside the top 10 of the Riders' Championship. Uh, Yamaha itself finished fifth in the Manufacturers' Championship out of the seven manufacturers, only ahead of Aprilia, which has no representative team in terms of a real strong factory team, and MV Augusta, which is only a one-bike team. Much worse without uh, being too critical of Yamaha last year. But they said it themselves. That at least they finished with a podium finish in race one in Qatar with Silvan Gintoli right at the end of the season. And to go back to your question, Andre, yes, this could be a real critical year now because this is the fourth full season for Alex Lowe's. Michael van der Mark now into his third season. Both of them yet to win a race, and that's going to be key. Which of those two is going to be first to take a race victory this year? Because I guarantee, although they will work well together, I guarantee there's going to be some needle there in terms of uh, who wins that first race and who can blame them. Yeah, because I mean, the way I look at it, um, just to cut in for one second, the way I look at it, it's two very exciting and promising reputations there in van der Mark and Lowe's. And you've got to think that it's almost unthinkable and impossible for both of those reputations to remain intact this year. One of them is going to take a hit. <laughs> That's a very good point you make there. I mean, they're both young guns, 26 years old, Alex Lowe, 24, Michael van der Mark. They both have titles behind them, of course. Alex Lowe came in after a great season on the Samsung Honda in BSB in 2013. Van der Mark came in as world supersport champion of 2014. And yes, they've both had a, a bit of a low-key few years, haven't they? Alex Lowe has been on the podium three times but not now since Thailand 2015, so the best part of two years. Vandermark's had, I think, what, nine podium finishes now since he stepped up to World Superbike. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting, the chemistry there, the dynamic. They're going to have to put their egos to one side, aren't they, to work together mm. to develop the bike. Because without doing that, they're going to be nowhere. I'm not saying nowhere, but they're not going to be to the level they want to be. But at the same time, yeah, Alex Lowe's will not want to be behind Michael Vandermark. Michael Vandermark will not want to be behind Alex Lowe's. So... How's that going to pan out? It's similar to the Honda situation in some way. Yeah, definitely a case of the the young the, the young pretenders trying to establish themselves. And again, as we mentioned, especially with Van der Mark, for me, given that he's come so close to wins before, especially in his home round of Aston. We, we all saw it last year. He was up there challenging for a win, and next thing you know, he loses the bike, and that was an awful moment for him. But uh, one more guy, British guy, I wanted to talk about that you alluded to a minute ago, and that was Leon Cambia. Um, we have a nickname for him on the show. We call him the Ambulance Chaser because he's, he tends to be uh, the guy you slot in if there's an injury or something like that. Cambia seems to be your guy, but I think he had a fantastic season last year, given the situation at MV Augusta. You know, again, not not a massively backed team by any stretch, not a particularly race pedigree star factory like the Yamahas and Ducatis of the world. But uh, I think he was fantastic last season. Would he have any idea, or would he have any inkling as to where he might slot into slot into play next season? Mm. Well, I certainly couldn't agree more with last year. He threw his leg over that bike at the start of 2015. He took over from Claudio Corti, who had pretty much gone in utterly the wrong direction with the electronics. So Leon had to start all over again. He was the only rider in the team. He was really pleased that he was the only rider in the team. So the development didn't get diluted because sometimes with two riders in the team, one of them wants to go one way, one of them wants to go in another direction. Leon took that team. I mean, look, that bike was perhaps might have even been the fourth best bike on the grid at some stages towards mm. the end of last season. Magni Corey led a race, and MV had never led a race before. Uh, it was in the top five on several occasions. Really, really strong season, and I think he's deserving of a place, isn't he? One of the top teams, but it's a bit tight at the moment. Where would he slot in? Um, 
this year, though, I fear, I hope I'm wrong again, but I fear it's going to be difficult because we've got a new regulation, technical regulation with throttle bodies now. They can no longer split, as I'm sure you know, the throttle bodies. They have to run a sole piece throttle body just as they do on the road bike. Now, that's affecting three manufacturers in particular. One of them is Kawasaki, the other one is Honda, and the third one is MV Augusta. So, basically, Leon Camio explained this very well in a video feature we did when I was still at Dorna, and we put it in the uh, season preview programme which has just gone out on the World Superbike website, going out on Eurosport, hopefully, as well, this week. Uh, so catch up with that if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, Leon Camier saying, basically, before, with the electronics, it's pretty complex, and I'm not that technical myself, but he said you can feed the power on it. With the electronics, you have four throttle bodies. You'd be running on two. So you're essentially running a 500cc bike at one stage, and you gradually feed the power in, and the other three, or third, sorry, and four throttle bodies will open as you make your way down the straight. Um, now they can't do that. They have to open them all at the same time. They have to completely rewrite the code in some ways. Now, back to the drawing board with electronics. And that's where the smaller teams are going to be hit worse because less resources, less, uh, less money there, basically, quite frankly. And that's why MV are going to have to uh, almost go back to the drawing board as well. But with Camia, who's a fantastic development rider, I'm sure they will get there. It's just going to take a while. Let's see. I hope he'll be around the top 10 in Australia. And towards the end of the year, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be brilliant to see him on the podium? Because they really deserve mm. it. Small team, no factory Absolutely. support. Very, very um, separate now from the actual MV company itself. And a private team, essentially, run uh, by Andrea Quadrante. They've had a lot of changes inside the team over the last two years or so. I really hope they get a podium, at least one podium. They deserve it. Yeah, we we had him as one of our riders of the year last year on Bike Live Leon Cami. He was he was phenomenal throughout the season. Yeah. Um we Agreed. have to we have to address the, the elephant in the room here because when we're talking about what's new <laughs> for 2017, perhaps the the new feature which has caught his most attention is the new reverse grid rules for race 2 this season. Um uh-huh. I mean, now now I've I've long since said on this show that they needed to come up with a way of chain of having a different grid for race 2 to race 1 because I think too often perhaps we were at risk of seeing essentially the same race twice uh, across a weekend with the same grid um so you snuck your way into the superbike commission meeting and got what you wanted <laughs> I did. well well that's the thing i did um and i like the I, I like the idea of having a different grid i'm not quite so sure of the way they've executed this rule change i mean how much are you looking forward to slash dreading explaining this new <laughs> reverse grid rule to the eurosport viewers this year <laughs> it's gonna be interesting isn't it um, okay, there's different ways to look at this, aren't there? I think the first thing is, you know, I no longer work for Dorna, so I don't need to defend Dorna, but I'm certainly not going to go out and criticise Dorna either, because who am I to do that? And first <laughs> of all, I don't think it needs heavily criticising anyway. Um, okay, what are the options? I think, as you say, first of all, it's fantastic that they are being seen to be making some changes, because one of the criticisms Dorna receives sometimes is that World Superbike, in various ways, is going too much in the direction of the Dorna baby, MotoGP, and in some ways it needs to because it's been proven. Look how well MotoGP is promoted mm. and produced. The television production of MotoGP, really, I think, is second to none. It is tremendous with the onboard technology. I mean, some of the cameras now, and and clearly the people inside the OB truck, and I know who they are. They do understand what's going on, and that's why the coverage is so brilliant. Um, which in some of the championships, I don't think it's up to that level, quite frankly. Anyway, we know that's, that's going the right way. What about the sporting regulations then with the grid change? I suppose one option is, well, BSB does it with Bartoclap. You've then got a sort of split grid situation if you look at the British Touring Car Championship where they choose between 7 and 10 to stop people deliberately finishing 
in one position or another, which we originally saw, if you remember, when the BTCC day did that format back yep. in 2004, people slowing down to finish 10th at Thruxton in the opening round. Uh, it worked quite well, didn't it, for Jason Plato, I seem to remember in the day. But anyway, I'm digressing there. I'm digressing there. <laughs> Um, they could reverse the whole grid, couldn't they? But then you've got the fact that, is that dangerous? If you've got a Grillini Kawasaki at the front of the grid and Chad Davis on the Ducati coming through from the back, I think that is a little bit dodgy, don't you? You'd have the issue of fast bikes coming through uh, and it could cause accidents. And then, of course, if somebody was hurt, it wouldn't look very good for anybody, would it? It would be silly. So what they've done is a bit of a compromise, top nine reversal. In a way, I think it's good. We will still see riders coming through from row three and winning. Jonathan Ray, Chad Davis. Jonathan Ray started ninth on the grid for the restart in Qatar last year and still finished second. Chad Davis came through from row two on several occasions last year and won the races. Tom Sykes, I think, won't like it. He's already said he doesn't really like it. He's usually on everything. Yeah, you know, exactly. And everything <laughs> seems to be against him this year, unfortunately. I hope um, it does work out for him and for his crew chief, Marcel Zwinker. Um what perhaps is a bit strange is why should the guy who finishes in fourth position be on pole position for race two? You know, why fourth? Perhaps a bit random there. What is good, though, is that it will spice up the races a bit. Not that they needed spicing up, but we'll get different manufacturers on the front row of the grid. Two different grids as well, and I'm quite, I'm quite excited about that. Why should, why should one rider be penalised if he has a difficult super pole by starting potentially at the back of the grid of both of the races? That's going to be interesting. It's good as Paul Denning from Yamaha has said for exposure for the sponsors, if you've got their bikes or an Altea BMW or an MB Augusta, something like that, which we don't normally see at the front, on the front row of the grid. Uh, and also we need to accept there are always going to be different opinions. And at first there's going to be a lot of criticism, just like there was with the Saturday races in 2016. People generally don't like change. But I think it will I be. I think that really worked well. last year as well. I think that really worked. I really do the as first well. race on the Saturday. Mm. We're going a step further in the end of the season now because we're having Friday Saturday races um, that final round um, yeah, in November yeah. um, but yeah, it's interesting because I think when I applied it to last year because I had a little look back at 2016 I was thinking how would this have worked last year with these rules and there were some interesting sort of scenarios that would have been thrown up for example Chaz Davies would have had a couple of race two poles um, most notably at Thailand where he couldn't overtake the two Kawasaki's he would have had been on race two pole there uh, from finishing fourth in race one. Tom Sykes, ironically, from pole everywhere, would have been on pole for race two in Qatar, I mean, that final round where he needed a, a result to finish second in the championship. Uh, <laughs> Leon Camier, who we've already mentioned, would have, I think, been on race two pole three times last year, as would have Jordi wow. Torres. Um, so it would have thrown up some interesting scenarios with the likes of Camier and Torres on race two pole with, with Ray, Davies, Sykes, etc. at the back of the, or the back of the third row. Um, but, but bringing it back to the, to the sport as a whole, and we'll look at the, the championship as a whole um, just in a moment before we, before we let you go, Greg. But I think what makes this rule perhaps more exciting and perhaps what will make it work is that do we have this season more than the three obvious names who could win a race this season? I mean, last year, with the exception of the Hayden wet win in Japan, we only had the three winners last year, um, which have perhaps necessitated this, this change where the top three get sent back to row three. Surely this season, there are going to be more guys from fourth in race one and backwards who could take advantage of this rule and win a race two. Yes, they could, because if they can get away, and then, I mean, because the guys on row two, even row one, they're not going to be slow, are they? They're still no. going to be quick. They're not going to be as quick, perhaps, as the guys coming through from uh, row three, who, in theory, were the quickest in race one. But if we get a strange race one now, you might even get the quicker riders starting at the front anyway in race two. So that's mm. another thing to bear in mind. If you have a rain-affected race one, and the usual guys finish down in, let's say, I don't know, seven, eight, ninth, they're going to be up at the, towards the front anyway in race two. But generally... 
it's going to be really good. And I think maybe not wins, but we might see now more podium opportunities for guys like Jordi mm. Torres, guys like Leon Camio, Reiterberger perhaps. Um, and interesting, Lewis, when you say the three, the three normal guys, who would you be assuming there? Ray Davis and Sykes, I guess? Ray Davis and Sykes, yeah. The three that, that spent most of last year uh, winning. Because uh, as I say, last year... Chaz Davies would have been given a couple of race two poles um, as it happened. Yeah. Um, Thailand and Mizano was the other where he finished fourth in race one and would have been put on pole um, mm. for race two. And as I mentioned, Jonathan Ray would have been on race two pole in Magni Cor, bizarrely, because he finished fourth there uh, yeah, in, that, in, that, in that wet to dry first race. Um, but but how do you see the championship going, um, Greg? Because those are the three, understandably, that will will lead the, the list of favourites. Jonathan Ray, Tom Sykes and Chaz Davies. But, but Jonathan Ray... He's looking to do something that has never been done in the history of World Superbikes. So history is against him. Well, first of all, just to close the previous point, I think what they must focus on this year, as with every year, they must focus on points over the whole round, not individual races. There is no point finishing first in one race and seventh in the second. And that happened a few times, if you remember, with Tom Sykes mm. in 2015. Malaysia, he had a, a, you know, a decent weekend there, but then the second race, it all went wrong. You know, it happened a few times. Jonathan Ray, who's always focusing on the points over the two races. If you look at his average point score, he was always up there almost every single weekend last year. Chad Davis a few times. So that's the first thing. Now, what about the championship fight? Jonathan Ray, yeah, nobody's ever won three in a row. Troy Venice has won three titles. Carl Fogarty won four, but neither of the two won three in a row. I think it can be done. If anyone's going to beat him, it'll be Chad Davis. Look at the form that he and Ducati were on at the end of last year, won seven of the last eight races, including every single dry race since we came back from the summer break. So that's uh, Germany, France, Spain, and then Qatar, of course, at the end of the year. But still, despite scoring more points than he did the year before, finished behind Tom Sykes for second in the championship, which proves again how the level is so high at the moment. Personally, and again, I hope I'm wrong for his sake, but I think everything is against Tom Sykes, is he even in those th- those first three this year? He might be replaced by the likes of Melandry or Eugene Laverty, for example. Melandry looks quick. And the reason I say that about Tom Sykes is that if you look at all the changes, everything, everything is against him. Now, that's not being done on purpose. It's just the way it works out. He has a very unusual riding style, doesn't he? With his point and square into the corner, hard on the gas in the, uh, in the middle of the corner. He sort of takes it as a triangle in, stop, turn, gas out. The problem is with that, He's got more inertia now because of the smaller battery, because that's a, a European flight law or an international flight law, I should say. They cannot now transport lithium batteries over a certain size. They have to take smaller batteries, which means running a generator on the bike to make up for the loss of charge in the battery. That's more inertia, more difficult to slow the bike down. It also gives a little bit more inertia back to Jonathan Ray, and he likes that, having lost some of it last year. So the gap will open up even further. Ray's going to get quicker, sight slightly slower. The grid format he doesn't like. The changes with the um, with the throttle bodies are not going to go Sykes' way either. But at least for the first time now, Tom Sykes is saying, I'm going to have to change my riding style. I can't keep complaining and say, I need the bike to be changed for me to suit my style. No, he's going to have to change his style. And that's what the masters of racing have done. Valentino Rossi, Jonathan Ray, and World Superbike over the last few years. All the different theories, all the different types of bikes, changes to regulations, and they adapt every single time. So to answer your question, Lewis, I think the title contenders are Jonathan Ray, and Charles Davis. I think Laverty will be there or thereabouts, but they're still not where they want to be with that bike. Melandry could be a surprise. But what I've said already in a previous interview last week, I wonder how many riders could potentially get between Ray and Davis to take some points off the other one. That will be quite important, I think. Mm. 
Mm, yeah, very interesting, and uh, I, I suppose well, that will be where the, the race to reverse grid may come into it as well. Uh, if you weren't excited, uh, listeners, for the World Superbike season in 2017, you surely will be after that. Uh, Greg Haynes, many, many thanks for joining us, and uh, we look forward to hearing you calling the action with James Whittam in Phillip Island in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Lewis, Andre, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, really Thank looking you. forward to it. Great broadcaster in Eurosport. Uh, they love their racing, and I can't wait to get going. Just very quickly, I'd like to ask you two, if you don't mind, who's your tip for the title? I've gone for Jonathan Ray. Mm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm busy furiously scribbling Tom Sykes off my sheet. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I like the look of Chaz Davies uh, for this season. I mean, he finished 2015 very, very strong, and then he couldn't quite carry that momentum into 16, could he? With the, the Ducati wasn't quite as quick on the straight yeah. at the start of last season to defeat the, the Kawasaki's because he crashed trying to beat Johnny Ray uh, in Phillip Island and then just couldn't quite lay an overtake on the Kawasaki's in Thailand either. Um, but I think Chaz is going to be very, very strong this season. And yeah, I think if, if Ducati starts strong, we always see them get stronger as the year goes on. And if they're starting from a very good position, I think Chaz Davis is going to be very, very difficult to beat. Uh, Dre, what about you? Me, I, 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 my, my motto is dance with the one that brung you. I'm, I'm sticking with Jonathan Ray. I think the guy is, is the complete package. He, he, he hardly ever makes mistakes. I think that's, he's, he has got the mantra and the philosophy of how to win championships in, in motorsport. Just ultra consistency, very few mistakes, if any at all. I mean, he was a little bit, I mean, I think the championship last year was, if anything, a little bit inflated in terms of the difference between points because Jonathan had a bike that let him down on a couple of occasions, um, which, you know, was inadvertently not his fault. And it's, again, for example, I can give him a Seiko race too. Um, so for me, I'm going to go with Jonathan Ray. I mean, Ducati. I just haven't seen enough from them on the table to think Chaz has got enough to win it over an entire season. Don't get me wrong, he was phenomenal towards the end of last year, but the first half, he just wasn't quite there. And again, like you can't give Jonathan that sort of advantage. We saw it with Tom Sykes last year. Gave up 27 points off the opening round, and then Jonathan just didn't look back from there, really. Tom was never close enough to realistically challenge, and that's that's what it came down to. So for me... I'm going to yeah. stick with Jonathan. It wouldn't surprise if he takes a double in Phillip Island or, you know, at least gets a chunky amount of points up there, maybe 35 to 50 to 45, something like that. And I think he could go on from there to, to, to lead from the front like he's done for the last two years. Yeah, let's yeah. just hope for the sake of the championship, we can have two Ducatis up there now, which we haven't really had, have we, for the last few years? No. Not on a regular basis, at least. Let's hope we can. We want to see more races like race two at Laguna Seca. And one final point I'll just throw in. Remember last year uh, in the mid-season break, nine weekends off, Ducati did a load of testing at Mizano. They even went to Germany ahead of the races there. Kawasaki didn't do any. This year, if they know they need to for the championship, they will. We shouldn't forget that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating season. And of course, it gets underway very, very soon uh, in Phillip Island. Greg, many, many thanks for joining us. Thanks again, guys. Let's go! A huge thank you then to Greg Haynes. And we look forward to hearing him calling the action with James Whitton throughout the 2017 season. And only one place to pick up there, Dre, uh, on that discussion with Greg. The rule change that has got everyone talking, and in some ways that's d d defined as a success already, the fact that it's got us all talking about World Superbikes. Um, but the new reverse grid rules for Race 2, we heard uh, Greg um, talk through it there. Um, but just to recap, because it may need a bit of recapping, um, here's how it's going to work. Superpole will continue to set the grid for race one, which takes place on the Saturday. The race one result will then shape the grid for race two. The top nine are the riders that you need to focus on. 
The front three, the three that are on the podium, will be sent back to the third row of the grid and then reversed, which means that the winner of race one starts race two in ninth, second starts eighth, third starts seventh. The rest of the top nine will then be shuffled forward three spots, i.e. a row on the grid, which means that the man that finishes race one fourth will start on pole, fifth starts second, and so on. until you get to the third row where the podium finishes from race one will start. From tenth backwards, the riders will then line up in the order of their super pole lap times, which means one thing, the guy who takes pole position on the Saturday will start race two no lower than tenth, even if he makes a mess of race one. A lot to take in there, Trey. Um, huh? I mean, it, it, let's let's cover the first thing. We've got a few questions to ask about this. The first one is, was it necessary? I mean, I, I mentioned there when we were speaking to Greg that they needed to come up with a way of making race two different in more than just the day to race one. Do you agree with that? It's kind of like Dorna had put them, had basically hung themselves by their own nuts on this one because they had they had the rule last year to stick race two on a Sunday and keep and put, you know bring race one forward to Saturday. It makes race two a lot less appealing by default by getting up and another morning for it if it's not going to be as exciting as race one, given you saw what happened in race one and you probably already got an idea of what could happen, especially if the grid's going to be exactly the same. So. If you're gonna have two races on two different days, you're probably best. It's probably in your best interest to mix up race two to make it more appealing to the casual viewer. So, on the face of it, I can see why it's been done, and I'm not totally for or against it. I'm somewhere in the middle on this. There's pros and cons, but I can see why it's done. And again, you don't want you don't want viewers to tail off in race two because they feel like it's going to be a carbon copy of race one. That's the last thing you want to do, especially if you've made a point of putting them on different days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think they've got there. You've got to find a way of distinguishing one race from the other. Um, you know, why have two races if they're both going to be the same? Um, is the way that I look at it. Um, in terms of the the methodology, the actual process of constructing the grid for race two. I mean, as as Greg mentioned, there are a number of ways they could have gone about it. They could have reversed the whole grid. They could have gone on. They could have gone the BSB route and gone on race one fastest laps and effectively taken a race one qualifying session, if you like, um, mm. and, and used that to construct the grid. Um, the way the method they have used, I mean, is it unnecessarily confusing? And I guess if it gives us good racing, does it matter if it's a confusing process as long as we get a grid and get a good race? Yeah, like the casual viewer will stroll in and go, hey, what's that guy doing on the front row? Um, yeah, I, it's a little bit complicated. I mean, those that are mo keen motorsport fans will just say, oh, it's very similar to the British Touring Car Championship that have had a reverse grid rule since the beginning of time. And, and Paul Filthy that had its own set of problems. See Austin, Rob, for more information on that. <laughs> yes. but, um, basically cracking the ballot box, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a bad system. And I, I understand why it's been done. It's not too confusing. I mean, it's basically the row one becomes row three and you flip it. Everybody else gets pushed up three spots. So, basically, race four is, is becoming pole. And... Uh, my only issue is is that are we going to see riders deliberately fall into fourth place so they can yeah. get race two pole? That's my biggest issue with this. Is that yeah, because the difference, might, the difference yeah. in grid slots is six spots. It's either seventh exactly. or pole. 
you, you've made the podium less appealing. That that's the problem because like, some people would rather start race two on pole than take a podium. I think in some cases, um, if you're a bigger team, you're gonna want to start race race two on pole. I think more than finishing third between because the difference between third and fourth is only three points. Mm. So. I think many guys would sacrifice three points for a pole position start in another race. I think that's part of the problem. Especially when your three so, biggest threats are two rows back. Exactly. So the sixth the sixth place swing is huge, and that's that's my biggest issue with this system. I'm not saying it can't work. What I am saying is is that it's going to be taken advantage of by, especially I think by the bigger factories, especially given that Kawasaki and Ducati. There's four bikes there. Someone may just sink into fourth to take the, the pole position for race two. And that is going to have an obvious effect on the quality of race because nobody wants to see team orders and deliberate tactics and in inverted commas like that. Or riders are not riding flat out or they're, you know, they're playing, they're playing games in order to make the situation better for themselves. It's not ideal. Uh, but I, I guess you could also make the argument that oh, that'll make race two more appealing then because it won't have any of those games involved. But who knows? But it's. I, I want to see how it plays out in yeah. reality before I, I before I cast true judgments on it. But in any case, it's not straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is one of those similar to. Well, I was about to say similar to the Illuminator qualifying, but that was just a complete dumpster fire uh, that we saw in Formula One last season. But it was one of those where when you try and explain the process, it sounds confusing. When you watch it unfold, it's kind of easy to follow. Um, it's just the Formula One example was just bloody boring. Um, and, and, and ended. Um, it kind of peaked too soon, didn't it? Um, but mm. I think in this in this case, the big question is, and I guess the, the end will justify the means on this. And the big question is, will this improve the racing? And and whatever you say about it, we are going to have some very fast guys in race two coming back from the third row of the grid. That's surely going to improve racing, isn't it? You'd think. It's just a case um, of how how artificial are you prepared to go. Yeah, exactly. Like, where where do you draw the line on artificial entertainment enhancements? Um, I'd like to call them fun bags, maybe. That might be a better way of, of putting it. <laughs> I, I I I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And again, I'd like to see how it plays out in reality because, like, just how much is a bigger team going to value a pole position is going to be the big question here as to where how this plays out. But I think something had to be done, and yeah. I was and it's. It should make for better racing in race two because you're gonna the, the bigger factories have got more work to do and that will bring some of the smaller teams and other factories into play. And I think the best way I can describe this is it'll work if the field is competitive. Mm. If the field is not competitive, it won't make a shred of difference. Yeah, the guy should be like the grid will win anyway. Exactly. So like like in other words. If someone like Alex Lowe's, for example, starts race two on pole on a Yamaha, is he fast enough to hold off the bikes behind him? Or will they just blow past him and it won't matter what position on the grid they start in? Nine places isn't big enough of a drop. I don't know. If the field is, is lopsided like it kind of was last year, it won't make a difference. I, I just hope that positions five through eight on the calendar are pretty stacked and stacked enough to the point where they can give Kawasaki, Ducati a race. I, I, and I just hope that's the thing, because, again, the quality of the field, I think, will have a big impact on just how effective this is. Mm, yeah, and uh, there were some interesting scenarios, as I mentioned there to Greg, that last year would have thrown up. And if, if I go through the season, um, here's how it would have gone last season if we'd applied it. In Philippine last season, Davide Giuliano would have been on race two pole. 
In Thailand, Chas Davis would have been on race two pole. At Aragon, Chas Forez would have been on race two pole. That's an interesting hey. one. Um, <laughs> at Assen, we would have had uh, Leon Camier on race two pole. At Imola, hmm. Torres would have been back on race two pole. At Sepang, Torres again would have been on race two pole. At Donington, it would have been Camier again. At Mizano, it would have been Chas Davies. At Laguna Seca, it would have been Van der Mark on race two pole. At Lausitz Ring, the German round of the championship, it would have been Torres again. Um, Magni Court, it would have been Jonathan Ray on race two pole because he, he came through the field in that wet to dry race. Jerez, the penultimate round, it would have been Nicky Hayden on race two pole. And LaSalle, the final round in Qatar, as I mentioned a few moments ago to Greg, Tom Sykes would have been on race two pole. Isn't he always? Um, so that was so that wouldn't have mixed anything up at all, would it? He would have just put the, the usual guy on pole position. Um, so those are the kind of scenarios that we may get this season uh, with this kind of rule. And there's a couple of things that I like about it. First of all, I like the fact that 10th backwards is decided by the Super Bowl times. Because it means that a guy who has a bad Super Bowl isn't punished twice. He can still yeah. get himself into the top nine in that first race and potentially be on the front two rows for race two. Um, mm -hmm. So it gives that carrot for the guys who mess up Super Bowl, um, which I think is good. Um, but also, oh. I think when you look at the field, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about that it all hinges on the competitiveness of the field. The fact that we have likely a stronger Yamaha, we certainly have a stronger Aprilia with Sabadori and Laverty, um, Honda a bit of an unknown quantity. Surely we do have more competitive guys now who are going to be finishing 4th, 5th, 6th, are going to have a front row for race 2, and surely stand more of a chance of holding off the likes of Ray, Davis and Sykes in a race 2. You'd think. And I, on the face of it, I think the field is stronger than last year in terms of rider quality and bike quality. Um, I think when you look at last season's grid as well, just one last thing as well, on, the, on last season, of the 13 rounds we had, Nine of them saw double winners, which is two men. Ah. Nine ah. out of 13 were won by the same guy in race one to race two. That's a very um, good point. Surely, with this format and the, the competitiveness of the field, surely that number is going to come down. Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely, I'd say with, with, with this rule. I mean, it, it makes a double victory much more difficult to obtain, but obviously much harder earned because you're going to have to win race two from ninth on the grid. That's that's now a guarantee with this new rule. You're going to have to earn that second win. And I did not know, I didn't think about it until you just mentioned, yeah, that was a lot of double frigging winners last year. Davis Chaz was, had most of them, yeah. Chaz had four of them, I think. Sykes had Dorsey Donington because he's the king of Donington. Johnny had a few in there as well. So, yeah, Johnny had yeah, three. Yeah, exactly. So if you're if you've got eighteen of your wins are coming from double winners in in, in a twenty six round championship, uh, it's just uh, uh, you know something had to be done about that. And in that regards, again, if the field is competitive, it'll work. And again, a double win will be even more significant now because you're going to start race two from nine. So. On the face of it, given that I think the quality of rider is better this year, and I think the quality of the bikes in the field are better, Philip Island, you know, is I think could be fantastic racing next next weekend um, as we record this. Yeah, it is uh, always, isn't it? Even maybe in previous years, it's been brilliant exactly. around there. So with this new rule, um, race two is going to be fantastic, uh, and. Phillip Island is just the perfect place for any motorsport season to start, isn't it? And the yes. number of classic races we've seen there in recent years, we saw the Ray Haslam photo finish a couple of years ago. Um, we saw the disappearance of Alex Lowe's in that race as well. Let's not mention <laughs> that again to Bex. Um, last season, we saw great racing as well between Ray and Davies, where Ray did a double, but again, it was by no means straightforward. 
Um, and, and this weekend is surely going to deliver um, some fantastic racing. Um, are we going to get a closer championship, you think, this season? We've already heard there with Greg, you've already heard who our picks are um, for this championship overall. Mm. But do you see it being more competitive? I mean, you, you're backing Jonathan Ray. I mean, I'm backing Chas to, to, to turn the tables on him. But surely it is going to be more open and more competitive this season. You shameless brand kiss up you. We had Chaz Davis on the show, and of course you've picked him for the championship. Well, I had, to, I, well, I had to. I had to scribble, as I mentioned, I had to scribble Tom Sykes off my sheet because um, Greg pretty much um, laid out the reasons why he's probably not going to happen. <laughs> How much did it pain you to pick Chaz Davis? Uh, yeah, it, uh, the, the teeth were seriously gritted uh, as, uh, <laughs> as, I, as I uttered that prediction. What do you um, mean, I'm back? Wales? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's the, surely we have. We have more potential winners and and more potential for close racing at the front. Surely it's not just going to be the same three that we saw last year. I hope so. I really hope so. And honestly, I'm optimistic. I think the rules and the more competitive field, I think we could get five or six different winners this year. I really hope I'm right on this one. We only had four different winners last year. Mm. And Nicky Haydens was basically a fluke given the wet conditions in Sepang. And that's a shame. I mean, a championship never wants to boil down between three of the same protagonists year after year. We do that in other sports as it is. But it's 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 yeah, it's an unfortunate Yeah, exactly. It's an unfortunate situation. But in any case, like I think Worlds have got the balance just about right. I think this does have great potential to open the field up a little bit more. I think we'll get more factories on the podium. Definitely, I think, on the podium. Maybe even more winning races um, in spite of situations. And, you know, if we get a couple of more wet races here and then, who knows what could happen. But in, in any case, I think the potential is there to have a fantastic season. And, hey, if we get an unpredictable year, John Frey doesn't have it all his own Ray. We get guys like maybe Lowe's, Vandermark, maybe the Aprilia's, maybe even the Hondas if they can get their crap together as the year goes on then who's going to complain about our reverse grid rule? If it's effective, these issues seem to melt away quite quickly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's not as if World Superbikes are alone, are they? GP2 has a reverse grid. World Touring Cars has a reverse grid. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's not as if they're alone in this, and, the, and those championships certainly don't suffer from having a reverse grid uh, in it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm optimistic, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. It gets underway this weekend. Um World Supersport also gets underway this weekend. Um, we'll cover that a little bit more um, when we review the uh, World Superbike round of Phillip Island, which, of course, there is a World Supersport race there too. Um, what I will do, first of all, is take you through the grid lineup for this season in World Supersport. For those wondering about the Supersport 300 class, which is new to the championship this season, that will be only following the European rounds, so we'll talk a bit more about that when we get to Aragon um, in April. Um, Kawasaki Pichetti, of course, start as the reigning champions and favourites with Keenan Sofwoglu on board, um, having released Randy Krumenacker up to their new World Superbike team. Uh, they've replaced him with a Brit in Kyle Ride, um, which I think is a very interesting signing, that, uh, given that he really didn't get on with his bike last season. He was knocked around from pillar to post, from team to team, um, as his first team that he signed for went bust. Um, and we know how good that kid is. Um, from his wild card at Donington. So seeing him in the champion team alongside Sofwoglu is going to be fantastic to watch. Uh, last season's championship runner-up was Jules Clozel. He has left MV Augusta to join the CIA Landlord Insurance Honda team. His teammates are Hikari Okubo, the Japanese, and Robin Mulhauser, the uh, Swiss Moto2 rider who will be looking to follow the Swiss blueprint followed by Krumenaka last year. 
Um, he uh, will be partnering Clozell, as I mentioned. Um, PJ Jacobson takes his place in NBA Augusta, uh, and he'll be running the number 99 this season. Um, the rest of the grid is made up by uh, the Team Go 11 Kawasaki team, who will be running Gino Ria and Kazuki Watanabe. Uh, the race department and the Augusta team with Davide Pizzoli and Alex Baldolini. Zolfani Kairu Din heads up the Oralak Racing Verdantura Kawasaki team alongside Nacho Calero. Um, the Badal Evan Bros Honda Racing team is headed by Christian Jamarino. He is their sole rider. The Calio Racing team is one of the interesting additions this season. We saw them last year as an as a occasional entrant with Nikki Tooley on board Yamaha, and he had a couple of second places with it. They're running throughout the entire season this time uh, with Tooley and Sheridan Marias. Profile Racing, you British fans will know all about them. They are running two triumphs this season for Luke Stapleford and Stefan Hill. Uh, Aidan Wagner and Kyle Smith, winner of that fantastic final round in Qatar last season, will be heading the Gemar Team Larini Honda squad. Uh, the Team Factory Gamag uh, NBA Augusta squad will be running Robbie Rolfo. Uh, the official Yamaha World Supersport team, the in quote Factory Yamaha World Supersport team for GRT, will be running Federico Caracasulo and Lucas Mahias, the Frenchman best known for leading that wet race at Aston last year in World Superbikes. Uh, Michael Conducci heads the Pochetti Junior team, which are backed by the Italian Federation now that they've given up on Moto3. They've been gazumped by VR46. Um, the Response RE Racing Kawasaki team, they'll be running an Aussie, uh, one of two Aussies in the field this weekend, Lachlan Epis. Um, fantastic season in prospect, and we look forward to covering it each and every week here on Bike Live, which, as we've mentioned, is now in its new home here on Motorsport 101. Um, and it's a big week uh, for us here at Motorsport 101 because you have, for the first time, two shows to bring you, Dre, because Motorsport 101 is coming oh. later this week. Absolutely. Motorsport 101 will be later on this week on Friday. We'll be talking about the Formula E race um, at Buenos Aires as Sebastian Buemi wins again. And uh, the, just the general overall negative feeling about the series right now because, boy, um, my, my timeline took a dump on that race from... <laughs> From a great height, um, to say the least. So we'll be talking about that, and we just Channel Five's coverage as well. <laughs> Let's not go there. But um, on top of that, we will also be trying to decide our Mount Rushmore of motorsport, and it won't just be me, King, and RJ on that one. That is all I will say in the meantime. Stay tuned to the social media on that one for more. But uh, it's going to be a roundtable, and there will probably be blood. That's yes. all I will say. On this one so stay tuned to that that'll be that'll be out probably on friday next week so stick around yeah <laughs> keep an eye out for that soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport 101 it's available in all the usual channels including itunes um i have to say on that on the formula e when i saw the hashtag bapery i thought what are they competing for the rebecca james trophy there uh, <laughs> in buenos aires but it was the bae pre um, there's, there's, there's already 136 different competitors for that trophy yeah unfortunately. It was like an all-star race of Rebecca James's favorite motorcycle riders, but it was actually an electric motorcycle uh, motor, motor race in uh, in Buenos Aires. Um, not a great one by all accounts. Yeah, that will be all covered on Motorsport 101 this week. Bike Live will return very very soon. We'll be going weekly once the uh, MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 seasons get underway because we'll be previewing those seasons in March. Don't worry. We, like everybody else, have been trying furiously to keep up with Maverick Vinales through the last few weeks. Um, so we will cover yep. that and all the MotoGP stories um, next month. We'll be back in a couple of weeks as we review uh, the Phillip Island World Superbike Round, where hopefully we will have uh, Lady James with us 
and depending of course on how Yamaha gets on I think that will depend on that but we thank you for your company we thank above all our two guests this week Chaz Davies of Aruba Ducati best of luck for the season and to Greg Haynes who will be calling the action for Eurosport each and every race weekend and we hope they won't be the last special guests we bring you here on Bike Live over the course of this season here on Motorsport 101. My thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me this week. Uh, and my thanks to all of you for listening and for downloading this launch edition of Season 4 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. And we look forward to your company next time. From the two of us, it's bye-bye. <laughs>